0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. We tend to dislike mysteries. We feel uncomfortable not knowing. The more that we know, the less we bend, the more brittle we become the easier to break.
3: Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host,
1: Armand Haddad. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Of course. We have yeah. our sacraments in hand. Mm-hmm. Let's toast. Toast. Doug has a goblet. <laughs> oh, yes. A chalice.
2: A chalice. Aaron has
1: a stainless steel stemless. I have a classic wine glass. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.
2: Cheers. Mmm. This is actually from Game of Thrones, but, you know. Oh, my uh, God,
1: you're right. I thought it was a D&D thing. No, it's Targaryen's. It's oh. supposed
2: to be Targaryen, but you know, it, 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 it just fits so well. It just looks so Did good. you get that at the Ren Fair? I've never been to a Ren Fair. I want to go. So, yeah.
1: Okay, we have to go <laughs> once the winter subsides. <laughs> yes. Road trip. Yeah, we're drinking red wine. I thought it was fitting because we're talking about midnight mass today. Hmm. Last time we even mentioned Midnight Mass, it was way back when we did the Jordan Peele episode, Mm, because that's when it came out. Okay. And Doug mentioned it. He was like, oh, I wish I was talking about Midnight Mass right now. Yep. And now we're finally watching it. We finally saw it. We're talking about it. And, you know, let's just get the ball rolling. Aaron, I'm going to start with you. All right. How did you first hear about this miniseries? I heard about it because RLM did a video about it. They did a Mike and Jay
0: talk about video on Midnight Mass. Uh, So they didn't want to spoil it. Exactly. But there's high praise from it from both Mike and Jay. Uh, Mike said it may have been like the best thing he has seen ever. And (laughs) at least like in the last decade, Uh, Jay really liked it because he's a big fan of Mike Flanagan, who has done like a ton of other horror stuff like Oculus and Hush and uh, Gerald's Game. And like the Haunting of Hill House series. Yes. Series. Yes. Um, and I made like a mental note that I should probably check this out because I like both of their tastes. Uh, and then I never did because I don't have Netflix. But you the- <laughs> don't
1: have Netflix? No. So you got Netflix to watch this? Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've got a streaming service of my own. <laughs> Oh my god. So, now i was on my Plex forever. Classic Aaron. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well, uh yeah, I I saw that video too, and they were tr- they were strategic and not spoiling like the main twist of yeah. the series, and I didn't have the I I was also preserved in watching this for the first time, like mm-hmm. I didn't know about the twist really. Yeah, uh, I didn't know a thing. Because, like, I heard a lot of buzz about Midnight Mass. I didn't watch it. I watched it later. And when someone sold me, which I don't want to get into yet, what the series was about, he was like, you know, we read this book. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) It's like the book. I was like, what do you mean it's like the book? It's like the book. But better. And I was like, wait, what? Oh my! I'll reveal God. what that book is later. But Doug, how did you first hear about Midnight Mass?
2: Well, I mean, I have been a fan fan of Mike Flanagan. <laughs> flan, You're a big Flan. I'm a big fan of Mike Flanagan. Um, Join his Flan Club. <laughs> yes, I've been a big fan of his since Oculus. And um, when I first heard that they uh, that Netflix was picking him up, I, w- I had watched uh, The Haunting of Hill House. And I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm all for this." And literally, when I was like reading into the description, uh, I I I read the basic plot of it, and then I read that it was his passion project before Oculus. He's been working on this thing for mm. a long time. I was like, "I'm sold." It shows. I'm sold, and so I I watched it as soon as it came out, and. Yeah, it just blew me away.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. I, you know, you could tell when someone, like, really cares about the subject that they're talking about. And, like, with Midnight Mass, you can tell this has been Justine for a long time. Kind of like with Jordan Peele with Get Out. Yes. Like, you could tell he's been, like, working on that Mm -hmm. for a very long time. Like, it's just perfect in every way. And with Midnight Mass, I was completely blown away on the writing aspect of it because Mm -hmm. like as I'm watching this, you know, I went in expecting a horror series and what I got was a dramatized, a drama, a drama of interpersonal relationships, people interacting with each other. And then the backdrop is the horror. mm -hmm. And I was like, this is not what I expected, but like, this is much more than what I expected.
0: Right. When, like halfway through watching this, I'm like, this feels like it was adapted from like a novel or something. And so I uh, looked it up carefully to avoid spoilers. And um, no, it's a completely original work from Mike Flanagan. Yes. Um, but it does have that complexity and detail that
1: you would expect from a novel, which is in a miniseries. Yes. And I since you mentioned this is like a completely original work, I do have to say Michael Flanagan, you probably know this, Doug. Mm -hmm. He's a huge fan, a stan, of Stephen King. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And like when I was watching this, even though it's not adapted from Stephen King, he did Gerald's Game, he did Dr. Sleep. Mm -hmm. And then this is like a Stephen King novel without being a Stephen King novel. It's like all the the things that are in his books are on screen in this series as its own thing. So it's like Michael Flanagan, I'm not going to get off the fence, but he's like Stephen King 2.0. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh my God. But like, I'll I'll just go right right out and say it, um, without going into spoilers. But like, I think a huge influence of Midnight Mass is attributed to uh, Salem's Lot. Have you are you familiar with Salem's Lot at all, Aaron? Not
0: at all. Um, I know the book shows up in the series. It's on Riley's bookshelf. What? Yes. Yeah. It is. Oh my
1: God. I spotted that, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I just made a note of it, like I didn't know what it meant. Eagle but. eye over here! Oh my god, <laughs> I saw this twice. I didn't even notice. <laughs> oh, I pay Holy attention, Armand. I have eyes. <laughs> I see things. So, Doug, and are I think you familiar- they're cool. <laughs> Did you stand up and clap? <laughs> <laughs> I stood up and I vomited on the floor. <laughs> That's amazing. So, Doug, are you familiar with Salem's Lot at all?
2: Uh, vaguely, until actually, I didn't even think of it until you brought it up to me, and then I, my brain, my brain just like <laughs> exploded. I was like,
1: hmm.
2: I was like, as soon as you brought up Salem's Lot, I was like, oh my god, I can see it.
1: Really? Hmm.
2: Yeah, because I mean, okay. although I've never like watched it or read, read
1: the books, you got the synopsis.
2: I, I got the synopsis. I know what it's about, and.
1: Yeah, I was just like, I now I know where you got your inspiration from a little bit. Yes, because <laughs> like that's how it was sold to me. Because like my friends and I were reading the Dark Tower novels. You read the first novel, Aaron, mm-hmm. and Salem's Lot fits into that story. So okay. we took a little side tangent, read the Salem's Lot book, and my friend watched Midnight Mass, and he was like, "You should watch Midnight Mass." I was like, "Yeah, I will." He's like, "It's like Salem's Lot." I was like, "Wait, really?" He's like, "Yeah, except <laughs> it's better." And I was like, how can you say that? How can you say it's better than Salem's Lot? And he was like, just watch it. Yeah. I watched it and I was like, holy shit, this is better than Salem's Lot. Like, it's a clear, huge inspiration, but like, he just makes it this whole nother thing that's mm-hmm. even more deeper and better. And it's like, oh my God. So. Now, Armand, you yes. had me worried
0: because like, yes, I saw, um, not in Netflix, but in my streaming service, um, I saw Midnight Mass and like the poster, and it looks <clears> like <throat> a Drew Struzen. Poster with like floating heads yes. and shit, and I'm like, yes. oh. And then like in the first episode, there's like on the island, there's like a kid just like on a bike, and I'm like, oh no,
1: is this some some Stranger Things shit? I will say when I when I turned it on, I, episode one, when I was first watching it, I had my uh, Oculus Rift on, mm. and I was watching oh. it in my fake living room. Episode <laughs> yeah. one, and. Yeah, kids with the bikes. And I was like, okay, Stranger Things. I like Stranger Things. Let's see where this is going. But that's not at all the tone. No. The series. I don't know why they marketed it like that. I don't know. But I guess how,
2: yeah.
0: how would you market this thing?
1: I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, every time I want to show this to somebody, you, Aaron, mm-hmm. I told you, don't look into it. Don't read anything. Just watch it. That's the best advice you can give somebody. Just go in blind. Don't speak it. Don't say it. (laughs) Bye-bye, man. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Because, like, I'm looking at all the trailers, and it's like, they have to market this thing, and they're marketing it as, like, house haunting of hill house haunting of blind manor where it's like ooh, jump scary and it's like oh like we don't know what this is and like when you watch it it's like not at all that's not at all what it is no it's it's a drama it's mostly people talking to each other
2: it's that's literally all it is it's it's like each episode you know it's just these people talking to each other and the the horror takes a backdrop and it literally like takes its time and lets you learn these characters by them just speaking
1: to each other Mm -hmm. i know Those are my favorite parts, when it's just people talking about themselves, talking to other people. Yeah. Getting philosophical, giving a little theological. Yeah, deep. You know, there's some scenes where it's like, you know, I think we all knock on the Star Wars prequels on this, just people sitting on a couch talking. But like in this series.
2: Each time they're doing that, there's something to learn from each character. Exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. People are setting things up, and then it's paid off later. Yes. Yes. Seems like basic... Filmmaking, screenwriting? You would think. Yeah. You would think. But that's so (laughs) rare these days. Yep. It's so rare because people okay. I feel like there's two different uh types of people when it comes to the creative field. There are authors and then people that you know, directors that direct film. Mm -hmm. And like to have the hybrid of both is very rare. People that can actually write stories and scripts and then actually have, you know, the eye of like how to direct the scene. Mm Because like with Game of Thrones You know, we saw D.B. Weiss and Benioff adapt George R. R. Martin, a guy that could write. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. they also have the eye of like, oh, cinematography. And then once they veered into their own realm, their own scripts, away from the subject matter, it kind of sucked because they can't write. Yeah. And I guess
0: uh, uh, that goes to like film auteur theory Mm. where it's pretty rare to have that kind of real filmmaker that like has a vision and can write and direct. And it feels like a complete thing instead of this, like made by committee nonsense, Mm -hmm. which is why like, you know, we have like people like Tarantino or Jordan Peele or Mike Flanagan now, where it feels like they're part of a dying breed of filmmaking where if it's not them, it's either like really small indie stuff that like never really gets a chance or, this, like, mass market, um, like entertainment, uh, paste that just kind of gets you know dumped out. And I, I would really
1: hate for stories like this to go away. I agree with that. And I'm gonna say the sentiments before we get into the series proper, going full into it, full spoilers straight ahead. Um, I feel like Jordan Peele, Mike Flanagan. Uh, I guess Christopher Nolan as well, you know, these, these uh, big giants directors now, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not only can they, they have an eye for directing, they can write. I feel like there's a third component that we're not talking about. They can market their stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of super creative people like, uh, you know, like say like, I don't know, Robert, I can also pen a good story. Maybe they can't really market their stuff they don't Mm. know how to market this stuff they don't have uh the resources to market it for a larger audience so it's like when you have like jordan peele mike flanagan that has the means to market their stuff to like netflix or to whoever it's like that's the key difference so it's like they're like a triad of like Mm. good aspects directing writing and marketing now you say that, but I feel like that doesn't work with Mike Flanagan
0: because of just what we talked about. Like, how do you market this thing? And like, right. Netflix didn't figure it out. I don't think Mike Flanagan figured it out. Um, I, I think Midnight Mass probably would have been forgotten if it were not for his pedigree and what mm. he already it basically coasting off of his name and like that being mm. uh, what drew people to the story. And with I a could lot. Could be wrong, but. Sorry, I was
2: gonna say um, w- with a lot of people that I've talked to about Mike Flanagan and like Midnight Mass and like recommending to they were like, "What Midnight Mass? What by Mike Flanagan? The same person who did Haunting of Hill House and Blind Manor?" They're like, "We never heard of this before." I'm like, "You just just go watch it. Just go blind watch it. That's all you need to do." But I mean, yeah, I'm I, I to be honest, I don't know though if I saw that much marketing for uh midnight mass and when i did i don't think um well i i don't know if it Mm -hmm. yeah necessarily made that connection with viewers because a lot of people didn't hear about it or, or saw any marketing for it
1: at least that's from from my experience that's just my experience though i have a theory and we're getting into it so take christopher nolan He did the Batman series, the Dark Knight series, Mm -hmm. and -hmm. those are huge commercial successes. Massive movies. Michael Flanagan, he did Haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. Huge success for Netflix. Big series. Everyone's watching it. Everyone's talking about it. Yep. Um, Christopher Nolan does the prestige in between the Batman movies. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really get marketed. A little bit of a diamond in the rough. And Mike Flanagan, in between projects of haunting of hill house and bly Manor, he does midnight mass Mm. something a little bit uh more up his speed something where he can flex his creative muscles but it's not going to be a commercial success right because like there's a tonal difference i don't know if you notice doug or aaron but like with uh haunting of hill house and bly Manor, that's more for the general audiences you know jump scares yeah it's like, when I watched Hill House for the first time, I didn't like it. Mm. I still don't like it. I, I watch it now, and I'm like, this is like a hallmark horror movie. <laughs> but Armand, they have hidden ghosts in the background. That makes it good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't need that. It's, it's cheesy. It's campy. I like The man or more, but I digress. I feel like his creative muscles, Flanagan, are flexed in Midnight Mass. That's more like his passion project mm-hmm. kind of like how the prestige was at Nolan's passion project. Cause it's a huge mm. difference between scale and also storytelling between a Batman movie and then a movie about magicians and then cloning and Tesla and all that crazy shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you get what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you, reading a book is never
0: like the singular thing. You could be reading like the, uh, kind of, uh, trashy, pulpy, Uh, Kind of page turner uh, novels that you would get like Stephen King at the airport (laughs) or like at the checkout line. Yes. And it's not going to be really all that complex, but it's going to keep you entertained and going to keep you turning those pages. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you can get something that is a lot more niche and personal. Um, it may not be for everyone, maybe like a memoir or like Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Or like a, 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 like a deeply personal, um, story where it's not going to be for everyone. It's never going to sell well, but it just might transform your life. Um, those books are really hard to like market and serve to other people and to get people interested in it. But I would argue like, like with any art, um, the stuff that appeals to the masses is going to sell really well and do really well because it's just like it hits the, the lowest common denominator, but art that really like stirs you up and transforms you and helps you look at the world in a different way. It's just so hard to package that neatly and mass produce it and, you know, shovel it in front of everyone's face and it would probably ruin it if they did. So I'm I'm grateful for stuff like this that might take a little bit to find or to, to get you in the door. It's going to take a certain frame of mind. But once you're in and if it really resonates with you, that's the stuff that's really going to
1: be the most meaningful for you. I kind of sound better myself. It's true because like. Even though the masses want, it's kind of like low stakes type of thing. You know, when I watch, for example, HGTV, Mm -hmm. I don't expect (laughs) to walk away from that like, oh, my God, my life has changed. Right. Low stakes, uh, low uh, attention. Like it demands little of you. Yes. Um, I demand little of it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You put it on while you're eating food. Which house are they going to choose? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Property Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) They're handsome and they get dirty. Oh my god! Oh, I'm not on grinder. Anyway, flooding right now. <laughs> <laughs> but like with Midnight Mass, I'm just going back to Midnight Mass. I'm just I'm just glad I went into it blind because like I was taking on a journey. I was taking on a journey because like you know the show opens in a way that I didn't expect a horror series to open with, and then like just like diving into the personal. Regrets and guilt of the main character. And then that's set in a small town where you think nothing happens, but things do happen. And then the fantastical element is introduced and there's a twist to it. And it's like, oh my God, this series is just perfect on every level. Mm -hmm. Aaron, do you want to get into it? Let's get into it. Doug, do you want to get into it? Yes, please. Okay, guys, I need one of you to summarize. The limited series, Midnight Mass, by Michael Flanagan.
3: I'm up for it. Aaron, you're going to volunteer as (laughs) tributes? Let's do it. Okay, I need you to
1: summarize the whole series, the whole seven episodes, without major spoilers. Okay. Or you can get into it.
0: Go. Okay, so to to abridge it without spoiling anything, um, we kind of have our main protagonist, Riley. Uh, He is a... Uh, He comes from a very religious uh, community, this like kind of small island village. Um, Doesn't really matter where it is, but uh, he used to be really religious. He goes off and kind of finds his fortune with uh, venture capitalism, Um, gets drunk and uh, ends up killing someone in a car crash. Yes. Uh, He does four years in the slammer, uh, gets out on probation and comes back to the community and he's just not fitting in. He's not religious anymore. Uh, he's been away from these people for quite some time, and, uh, here we start seeing the chess pieces kind of being set up, where we have different characters that, some are religious, some are not, uh, some get along, some don't, and, but overall, the village is just kind of dying. Um, the population is dwindling, people move away, and in the middle of this, the, uh, the, church, the Catholic Church at the center of town. They get a new pastor, a um, a new priest to serve the parish as like their regular pastor, who's like very old and not with it mentally anymore. Um, he's kind of recovering, and they get a new uh, priest in. And as he starts ministering to the town, um, there start to be miracles happening. Uh, one of the One of the girls who was paralyzed in an accident, like, she starts to walk. um, And other people, like, they don't need their glasses anymore. They uh, start having, like, their memory returned. And not only are physical ailments healed, but relationships start to heal. And it seems like there's new life coming into this community. To discuss that, we're going to get into spoilers. So, if anything that I've said intrigues you and you want to watch this... And the themes of like grief and faith and redemption and death. What does it mean to live and to die? Um, Isolation, community. If any of these really interest you, I urge you strongly to stop this podcast and go start watching (laughs) it now. Um, For those who have seen it, um, here's the rest of the spoilerific plot. Uh, It's revealed that the pastor is... A uh, the new pastor is really a younger version of the old pastor. He was on a pilgrimage in the Holy Land, uh, got separated from his travel group and stumbled upon a cave where he found what he describes as an angel of the Lord. Uh, It turns out to be quite demonic, but its blood uh, rejuvenated him, made him kind of his peak younger self. Oh, my God. And uh, he has returned with this angel to the island in hopes of. Sharing this kind of uh healing power with the village to not only heal the people physically but also restore relationships and uh give life back to the town and it starts to go wrong as his kind of good intentions spill over into murder and mayhem um religious control over the town. There are other characters who kind of get swept up into it and uh, it kind of turns into like a vampire or zombie movie at that point. Yep. yep. Um, and, you know, this is not a from dusk till dawn situation. This is not, it's not played for anything, but this is kind of the horror elements that set the stage to explore these kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. And the series ends up being like a meditation on death and grief mm-hmm. and faith and forgiveness, um, isolation, community, And it's it's impossible to put down um, as far as like these characters are just set up so well. Um, Each of them feels like a fully fleshed out human being. Um, Their their stories are compelling in a way that you want to see, like what happens to them. And there are cliffhangers and you want to just watch the next episode, but it's not done in like a like a manipulative kind of way. Uh, The story is just that good that you want to keep going. Um, And it. I I guess we'll get into the ending eventually, but that's the stage of
1: the series and what happens. Right. After every episode. Especially some of them, I'm like, well, I have to know what happens now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I say like the the cliffhangers are not like manipulative in the way that I think Breaking Bad has been guilty of where. There there are quite a few episodes, I think, in like seasons three and four, where it's like... Oh
1: my God, is he going to die? Yeah, how's how's Walter going to get out of this sticky situation? And then he gets out of it,
0: like the next episode. None of that... In the first two minutes. Right. (laughs) Right. None of that. Um, Everything in this series is earned. Um, And for those of... I have to put like a, a bit of a caution for people who are drawn, who might be drawn to this because of the horror aspect of it. The horror is not the main attraction. Right. Um, it, the horror is done really, really well. There's no like jump scares. A lot of it is just like the dread of knowing, like that there's a danger around and mm-hmm. other characters aren't aware of it. There's um, but the the and this is what kind of remind me of the mist. The real horror is the human element and all the yes. like awful. 100 sides of ourselves that come out um, when just a few dominoes are knocked over. And so w- with that, we get like the angel of the Lord or the demon or whatever it is. Um, it's just kind of the catalyst that in some ways, literally, in some ways, figuratively set this island on fire
2: going for is that you know yes there is the supernatural element in the background where it's like yes you're afraid of that that's on the back of your mind but you're watching this and you're watching these people and you start becoming more afraid of some of these people than you do of actually what's
1: what you're yeah. waiting for
2: in the background
1: yeah yeah like oh my god okay so you mentioned it so we have this new priest in a small town and miracles start happening. Mm-hmm. And what the people don't know, we know as a viewer watching this, we're kind of putting it together. He encounters what he believes is an angel in the wilderness when he goes to the Holy Land, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he gets lost in the desert, goes into a cave, encounters supernatural creature. We believe it to be a vampire of some sort. Right. Mm-hmm. And he believes it to be an angel. And he brings the angel back to his hometown uh, after the angel, like... Restores him, makes him an old, you know, from an old man to a young man. Mm-hmm. And it's through the blood and like the writing Mike Flanagan, you get the props because, like, he uses every single line mm-hmm. of dialogue is derived from the Bible. In his mm-hmm. perspective, an angel appears to people in the Old Testament. They're like, oh, my God, I'm afraid. And they're like, fear not. Mm-hmm. So it's like, of course, like, oh, this is this hideous creature. You know, this is a demonic looking thing. Of course, an angel would look like that because I'm terrified. Right. So Mike
0: Flanagan was raised Catholic. And this being a highly personal project of his, it's up uh, throughout this series. Um, when, it, whether it comes to the dialogue that some of the characters say, or even like the names of the episodes are like names of books of the Bible. Right. So you have like Genesis and Psalms, Proverbs, Lamentations, um, the, the gospel, gospel mm-hmm. uh, acts of the apostles and revelation, I yes. believe. Yes. Um, and also the rough timeline of the events of this unfold over, uh, the season of Lent. So uh, I think it's like episode two that, um, like Ash Wednesday, it, it mm. begins with. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, 40 days later, it's Easter Sunday. And that's kind of the the, the big climax of the series, which that itself, uh, that part of the liturgical calendar is very much a time of like introspection and like reflection on death and suffering. Um, and uh, th- th- there's a lot more to it there. But um, at the end it 's supposed to lead to a time of like resurrection and redemption, like the celebration of new life, so that applies not only to you know the story of Christ but also the church and also this island there 's layers it 's
2: like
1: onions yes it 's like an onion, onion.
2: <laughs> in uh, each of those oh sorry no go
1: ahead I
0: was
2: gonna say each of those uh, of those uh, uh episode titles they reflect into that episode they mm-hmm. they totally hint at what 's going what 's going to come because you know if you look at the verse from like or the meaning behind each of those uh um titles in the uh, right. in the Bible, yeah, it, the themes directly correspond to what's happening, you know, with these characters mm-hmm. in your life. And, yeah, that's another l- level of
1: detail that I just got to appreciate from Mike Flanagan there. Yeah. And another level of detail. There are seven episodes. <laughs> oh. oh! Seven is a divine number. Yeah. It's yes. a number of completion. Mm-hmm. There are seven days of the week. Mm-hmm. God took seven days to make... The universe. mm mm-hmm. uh, 14 tribes of Israel. Is twelve, that, Whatever. <laughs> That's a different holy number. 14, 12? 12. 12.
0: Okay. Uh, 40 is another um, uh, biblical number as far as like uh, the number of years it took to create the ark, um, oh. the number of days that Jesus fasted before his ministry. It rained um, for 40 days. Yep, and it rained yeah. 40 days, 40 nights. So 40 is another biblical number for all y'all out there looking for some biblical <laughs> trivia. Um, but yes, yeah, seven is very much a, uh, the number associated with God. Yes. Uh,
1: seven trumpets. Mm-hmm. Seven <laughs> seals, seven bowls. A lot of sevens. Mm-hmm.
2: Sevens are wild.
1: It's also a lucky number, seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also pops
0: up as a movie poster in Riley's bedroom.
2: Oh. Does it? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, yeah, seven. 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 Yeah. You know what? I think I remember watch, seeing that my second time through when I was watching that. There's a lot of things that you can that you can notice the second time and the third times oh, you watch God. those. Flanagan, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I
1: thought it was to, like, set the, the time period. I was like, okay, he grew up yes. in the 90s. But we have Scream and X-Files for that. Nice. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. So it's not yep. strictly. It's, it's doing
0: double duty there. Uh, but also it like, kind of sets him up as maybe a reason why he's uh he's riley tends to be kind of like a skeptic he's kind of a rationalist and that mm-hmm. would that would fall in with x files yes he wants to believe wants to believe but mm-hmm. goddamn it he's too <laughs> skeptical um it might be best to talk about this if we go
1: like character by character rather than like episode by episode so that's good and so riley yeah he is our main character he is the person that we're with the most mm-hmm. um he's i'm oh, sorry we're introduced to him uh, after a drunk driving incident, what well, looks like Manhattan, pre nine eleven. I saw the I, Twin I Towers she, yeah. in the background. Okay. I wasn't yeah, I, sure, because, like... Here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, like, the incident happened in, I guess, New York, and then he was tried in Illinois under Illinois yeah. law. Because I heard it was like, Illinois. I was like, wait yeah. a minute. Yeah, that's why I thought, like, yeah. the background was, like, maybe Chicago. But it's not. But it's not. It's not Chicago. The skyline's not right. It's not right. And the Twin Towers in the skyline. Yeah. And he was. I, and did you notice know the the World Trade Center? I think that or? is supposed to be Chicago. Yeah. And then, the yeah. It's supposed to be Chicago. I think it is supposed to be Chicago that he's in. I looked it up in Wikipedia because I was like, I need to know. Yeah. And I was like, car crash outside of Manhattan. And I was like, but in the series, he says like, oh, you know, I went to Chicago after I left. No, he said town. he went to New York. That's the thing. But that was like
0: one of the places that he went to. Okay. So it's ambiguous. And also the location of the island. Like, I was trying to put pieces together, and I'm like, when is this? Where was, is this? I was going to yes,
1: ask. He, like, okay. He, he
0: drives like an Impala or something, and he crashes into a Volkswagen Beetle. Yes. And mm-hmm. but and then he gets four years. Which could
1: be a shining
0: reference. Could be. Ooh. Um, he gets four years in an, in an Illinois slammer. Yes. And then... So I assumed she was from
1: Illinois?
0: I don't know. I was trying to piece it together I don't on. know how jurisdiction works in that. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It, it, and... He goes to the island, and they never specify where it is. They always say, like, the mainland, but it could be... I have a theory. could be Canada. I thought my head headcanon was,
1: like, in the middle of, like, Michigan. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is Michigan. They're probably the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, because... like It didn't seem like... Because, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, Stephen King is, like, set in New England, Maine, specifically. Right. and I was Could like, be there. it doesn't feel like Maine. It feels more like... Michigan yeah, Lakes like, culture. His
0: mom has that kind of like Midwest, like nice accent. Yes. So I'm like, uh, I don't think it matters really where it is, but it, it, it's more so the feel and vibe of the place is like, it's cut off from the mainland, wherever that is. It's a bunch of, a bunch of old folks and people have never left. And it, it's this kind of dying town. Right. And that's where Riley returns to. Right. And he, He begins very religious, like he's like muttering the Lord's Prayer um, at the scene of the accident. And uh, he gets he he's basically like in a traumatic state, kind of like looking at the body of the person that he killed because she went through the windshield. Mm -hmm. She has like all these like shards of glass uh, embedded in her skin and they're like reflecting the uh, police lights. Mm -hmm. And that kind of image just kind of stays with him um, as he's like trying to fall asleep. Her brain is gone. Yeah. Yep. And every time he tries to sleep, he like sees her again. And it's, it's horror in the sense that it's not, it's not going to jump scare you, but it's just like a creepy image. Yeah.
2: It's like that unsettling horror.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, Also another detail. He has like a Jesus fish on his car. Um, You know, it's kind of, it's a bit of a prodigal son where he's gone off and, you know, making a lot of money, um, becoming an alcoholic and the time in prison transforms him. He, he's speaking to someone else. Later that, you know, he looked into like other religions and he's just trying to like his life back together and make it work. But he can't make sense of it, especially in light of what he did and everything that he suffered through and the victim suffered through. And he ultimately leaves prison as an atheist. Yeah, he's trying to come back and he's just not fitting into his family. Well, because like he doesn't want to go to church. They're going to make him go to church um, and they don't handle that news well but that's just kind of what he's returning into.
2: Yeah. Yes. And almost a way too. He's also like the character, you know, for the audience as well. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, yeah, we're introduced to this, introduced to him right away with like this trauma. And then, you know, it kind of pulls back, but as everything's being revealed to us too, he's the one who's always just like a little bit like, mm, let me think about that first for a second. Yeah. And he, um, him as a character throughout, uh, throughout, throughout the show, um, he, like you said, he's trying to just find like the reason why he's like almost just like still around in that and in that way. That's where, you know, a little bit of Aaron Green comes in and, you know, saves him a little bit. You start mm-hmm. seeing him, you know, like come back a little bit and, you know, getting into like deeper thoughts. Because with his family, he's not really, you know, talking to them much. There's like a wall between them, you know. His yeah. Parents are all like, I forgot if it was, you know, it's his dad who calls him out at the table. He's like, you're going to come back here and you know say that you're no longer you know in good spirits with god and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like that whole entire um uh interaction with me when i was feeling that i could feel for riley in that situation because i was like if you came back to your family and that's the first thing like your dad says to you it's like that would i mean that 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 would hurt
1: yeah right because like when we use that prodigal son analogy with Riley, he truly is the prodigal son. Mm. Yeah. He went out, uh, had his riches, became an alcoholic, like you said. But yeah. Then when he returned home after facing trouble, in the Bible, the prodigal son is welcomed with open arms. Mm-hmm. Father <laughs> runs out to meet him. Yes. It's like you were lost, now you're found. Mm-hmm. But in this case with Riley, his father is not that figure. No, he doesn't yeah. embrace him with open arms. And it's like, oh, I'm grateful that you're home now. Like, no, like he's ashamed. Yeah. It's kind very, of grump. very deeply ashamed. And like, I don't blame him. Like your son got a DUI, killed somebody, went mm-hmm. to prison mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now you're home. And now he's saying like, oh, I don't want to go to church. It's like, I don't care if you don't believe you are going to church. Right. Yeah. Like you need something positive in your life yeah and and you can see that with riley that kind of
0: dynamic playing out like a younger brother that you know he gets along with but the age difference is vast enough that they're not going to have a lot in common um and you could see riley just kind of like shrink as he like uh goes home even in his body language he's like kind of hunched over all the time he's like hands Mm -hmm. in his pockets and he just feels like a little kid again um Mm. even though he's like mid 30s or like early forties. I don't know. He, he looks like every video game protagonist. <laughs> so like I couldn't quite place his age, <laughs> but um, yeah, he's kind of the, the uh, relatable every man in yeah. this series. And
1: um, he probably has the best arc in this series. Oh yeah. It's a completed, well, everyone has a complete arc. Yes. But like his is the most fleshed out because we spend the most time with him. Yes. I think like Aaron Green, you mentioned her, uh, Doug. Mm-hmm. They both have similar stories. They go they leave home, mm-hmm. have their fun essentially, and then they face trouble. Uh Riley was alcoholism, uh, manslaughter. Mm-hmm. And then with Aaron Green it was uh tumultuous marriage. Uh she got uh pregnant. She didn't mean to get pregnant. So, like, that's her story. And then they both returned home mm-hmm. and found different perspectives when right. returning home.
0: Mm-hmm. She either became or remained a Catholic and, like, took her faith, like, really uh, seriously, but, like, genuinely. She, yeah. And you could tell that, like, she's one of the good ones. She doesn't use, like, religion to, like, bash anybody else. Mm-hmm. She... um approaches Riley with like a lot of uh compassion and understanding. Yeah. Um it hearts, you know, they have like two lost souls commiserating. Right. And it
2: was some of their conversations between each other were some of my favorite conversations mm. throughout watching that whole entire show. Oh, my God. That scene where they're on the couch. Yeah. And yes. And they're talking about, like, they, they talk about death and, right. you know. and What
0: every, happens when you die?
2: What happens when you die? When I was watching it, I, I couldn't look away mm-hmm. in that right. scene. I was, yeah, I was bawling. I was just like. I was like, I was starting to think, I'm like, what do I believe when I die? Yeah. You no, know? like right. the, this, the series will make you, you know, it'll ask all the questions. and Then, then you'll start asking those questions to yourself.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that scene. So um, to set it up, Riley is trying to kind of reintegrate into um, society on uh, Crockett Island. Mm-hmm. And he's just not really fitting in and he doesn't really have like anything in his life worth living for or like, like he's not like suicidal, but he's just like, he's penniless. He's a doomer. Yeah. There's like nothing for him on this Island, but he can't leave. He can't go back to the mainland. Mm -hmm. Um, he's not getting along with his family. He's not like gelling with anyone on the Island. It's really only Aaron that he's kind of connected to. Yeah. And for herself, it's like all of her immediate family is gone. Um, I can't quite remember what happened to them, but uh, she's just kind of on her own um, getting ready to become a mother. Uh, She's like a school teacher on the Island, I think. Yeah. And um, she doesn't exactly fit in either because uh, of people like Bev who are like very judgmental of her
1: for like what she did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're both like the black sheep in different regards. Yeah. In Bev's uh, point of view. Yeah. Um,
0: So, They they spend a couple of uh, of Sunday services um, together and they end up talking about life and like their different perspectives and what they what brought them back to the island. And they have this conversation about, like, what do you think happens when you die? And uh, we get kind of two points of view on this. Uh, Riley, he's very much. Uh, like a uh, rationalist, a skeptic, uh, an atheist. His perspective is like when you die, like your uh, cells stop living and um, are eventually, you know, destroyed by bacteria and uh, are reassembled into uh, plant matter and organic matter that then like refeeds um, life continuing on earth. And, uh, as far as like your brain activity is concerned, it gets dumped with a bunch of DMT and you just trip out like nothing you've ever experienced before. The dream
1: <laughs> to end all dreams.
0: Yes. Yep. Um, like every memory and uh, and impulse and uh, dream that you've ever had just kind of like rushes to the surface more powerful than anything you've ever imagined. And eventually it ends and that's the end of you. Um, and then Aaron has a Different perspective. Um, and it's a very Catholic one.
1: Yeah. Cause like her perspective is she believes that there is like an afterlife because like she approaches that question of like what happens when you die uh, because she just had a miscarry.
3: Mm hmm.
1: hmm. So I don't even know if it's a miscarry because like this whole town is like drinking vampire blood and yeah, it's mixed in with the communion. Yep. Yeah. So she's drinking the laced, uh, communion wine and her baby that she's been caring for, I think at least eight months, like almost a term yeah, yeah. suddenly disappears mm-hmm. without a trace. And it's like, it's, it's very jarring for her, but like she approaches it like, you know, she's in, she's in heaven now. Um, she's with, I think she says she's with her family, but like she approaches it. With that like she's in a better place yeah and I'm like she never her. needed to suffer she was taken before like
0: any suffering happened yeah. yes and she has like joy and love um abounding endlessly for like all eternity yeah um where she as her mother will join her eventually yes um it, it, so it's not like it's not like clouds it's not like streets paved with gold none of this crap it's it's a much more uh joyful
1: meaningful thing my soul yeah. will be with your soul yes whatever that is yes. so it's it's the more spiritual religious aspect of what happens when you die while riley is more physically what happens to your body yeah in in this realm type of thing yeah and he
0: tells her like i hope you're right because it's such a it's such a beautiful and profound image
2: I mean that when she goes into that, like, especially like, you know, towards the end where it's like, it's like, I mean, cause they don't give it to you right away of like, essentially like, like her view on, on, the, on death. It's yeah. kind of like revealed that a, a little bit later part than Riley's that like her explanation, just, it just stuck with me because she's like, I am. I am mm-hmm. she's like she believes like that she it just becomes part of like one with the universe, and I was just like I was for it, I was like, I'm like, I believe you almost like I believe that that's like that that's what you believe in,
0: yeah, yeah, um, this conversation, like what happens when you die is kind of the linchpin of the whole series, and I think we would be remiss without uh bringing up how her perspective changes at the end uh when she is killed by the angel, yes, so, Doug, do you want to explain that?
2: Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like, like Armand said, like, when she was talking about, like, her kid first, when she, you know, believed, uh, because I believe she, she was, I mean, believe when she was talking about earlier that she actually believed in, like, some sort of a heaven, I believe her perspective, perspective, perspective changes a little bit, it becomes less religious, and it becomes kind of more towards, like, you know, spiritual, almost. Mm-hmm. agey. Yeah, because she starts talking about how she's like, Yeah, I start becoming like one with the grass. I can feel, you know, the earth around me. Mm-hmm. I could start feeling the universe. We are energy. And then she's just like we, we go go are energy. Back ener- to the energy. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Back to the energy, thank you. Yeah. That's what I was trying to think of. The en- she starts talking about the energy and she talks starts talking about life and she's just like I am. I am.
0: I am that I am.
2: Yeah, I become. She she almost essentially says, "I become part of everything." And I was like, "You know, how, I was just floored by
0: it."
1: Mm-hmm. From you know dust how, you come, and from dust you shall return. Yes, yes, yes. From Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. you are dust, and dust you shall return. So, like that uh, scene with Aaron Green uh, passing away, and like that's her thought process. Like the way I interpreted that was like that was how she was feeling in that moment as she's dying away. She's like having this uh, epiphany moment where it's like, Oh my God, like I am one with the grass. I am, I am energy. I am one with the universe. I am returning back to the universe. Mm -hmm. I am the star. I was made in a star, not to a star. I shall return. It's like, she's probably experienced. She's like, uh, her mind is like interpreting what's actually happening to her, her body. Mm-hmm. Her her consciousness, her soul, like everything, returning back to where it was. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought it was.
2: I I, I agree with you, Armand.
1: Now I that you so. said now now, now now
2: that you said it that way, I mean, I didn't really think about it that way before. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I believe that's actually what she's feeling in that moment. I
0: I, I take a bit of a different perspective on it. Um, and to get into it, we kind of need to take a step back to a lot of what has led up to this um, in the story and as well as like um, do taking a bit of a theological angle. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of the focus of the series is on um, how are people broken and how are they like healed, rejuvenated and made mm-hmm. new? Um, and that's actually a, a pretty depending on your theological tradition, pretty accurate view of what sin is. Um, I can't speak for um, uh, the Catholic point of view. I know a little bit about it, but from my understanding, I think Doug and I can. Yep. <laughs> I grew up Catholic. Okay. Christian for, Catholic. Um, from what I know, the the kind of like Protestant evangelical um, tradition of what's that? Like God told us like, don't do this. Don't do that. And if you do those things, then it's a sin that you've committed, um, that you then need to be forgiven for. And then it's kind of like wiped off the record. Um, a more sophisticated version of what sin is that I've come to believe is sin is basically the things that divide us, um, and cause like pain and, um, Disunity and discord between people, everything that like disrupts, um, things being wholesome and good and peaceful and pure. Um, and it, it is, uh, the divisions that come between us, whether it's like political divisions or things like racism, um, anything that like, uh, takes two people and like separates them and to kind of go into a layer deeper than this, um, which kind of lines up with what Aaron's perception of what death means at the end. Um, this kind of comes from like a more like Eastern spiritual background. Um, maybe like Taoist, but, um, their idea is that like reality itself is an illusion and that we are all part of, uh, this like unifying oneness, and um, yeah. what happens when their their explanation for suffering is when we buy into the illusion that uh, like we are separate and there's like an other. Ooh. And I think that's kind of closer to what sin is actually. I like it is basically <laughs> <I do. laughs> you're buying into this delusion that I am separate from you and that I can hurt you without me being hurt as well. Mm. And, That gets into all kinds of what we would call sin as far as like causing pain to each other, exploitation, um, taking advantage of people, using them. It all comes back into this kind of selfishness that like I can gain from putting you down or pretending that you're separate. But what Aaron realizes in that moment of death and understanding is like.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: The further down you get, the less obvious it becomes that I am separate from anything else. Like the molecules and the matter that makes up me or what I perceive to be me is you know, energy slowed down. So it's vibrating very, very slowly. And that energy is, you know, derived from the stars and it is connected to every other living thing on earth. And the reason why her previous view of what happens when you die, why she thinks that's a mistake is kind of revealed in her dialogue where, um, she kind of has like a flashback to that dialogue on the couch mm-hmm. and, um, the kind of it's like self self. That's the illusion. It's there is no self. There's a there's a connection to every other living thing. And it's buying into that illusion that there is yourself separated from everything else. That's what causes sin. And that's what causes all the trouble on the island is when people believe that they're separate from each other. There's the sheriff who's Muslim. And, uh, you know, nobody on the island really accepts him very much because, you know, it's a highly Catholic island. Mm -hmm. and people like Bev are kind of the antithesis of this, where she uses religion as a very like self-righteous thing to feel like she's more special than everybody else. Yeah. And she kind of turns into yep. the villain at the end. But, um, I, I think so. <laughs> it, it, it pops up with like father Pruitt and his whole scheme to kind of heal the island. that's where, and that's where I think it gets like the most like subtle, um, where he's doing good things. He's bringing healing to the island, but There's still, like... And he's justifying a lot of what he's doing by appealing to scripture, and Bev does the same thing, where she kind of, like, proof texts.
2: But, yeah.
0: and But there's still, like, a selfish kind of twist to it in some way that I'm not sure I fully have grasped grasped yet, but there's... um, Ultimately, at the end, his efforts to heal the island is used as a kind of way to build himself up, and you see this when he gives the Good Friday Amelie where he talks in a very like militaristic way Uh about um, what it means to follow God and um, his good intentions get kind of twisted into selfish ambition. He kind of realizes this too late, Um, but Bev then capitalizes on it and wants to basically like recruit an army of her own. That's why, Oh, go ahead. ahead.
3: I
2: was going to say, that's why Bev is the true uh, antagonist of, uh, Midnight mask.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because like Father Pruitt, he thought he was doing the right thing yes. the entire yes. time. Because yes. like he he encountered this miracle. He was like, oh my God, this is like the blood of the new covenant. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is the the end times. Like this is what's prophesied in the book of Revelation. Like it's happening now. Like I have to show this to my congregation. So like he thought he was doing the right thing. And then of course, since him... Being a person, a man who's fallible, he gives, He falls into that uh, allure of, like, power. And, like, he's like, okay. Like, he's giving that Good Friday uh, sermon, and he kind of, like, parallels the the Great Commission, which is what Jesus gave to his disciples, saying, like, mm-hmm. go out, spread the gospel, tell everybody, make disciples. He was doing that, except so he twisted it, saying, like, we're going to do great things. Like, yes. like, this is our time. Like, very militaristic, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he realizes, after giving that speech, like, seeing what happens on Easter, like, this is not the way. Right. This is not what I wanted. This is not right. And then Bev leaned into it, like, no, this is right. You're a false teacher. Mm -hmm. You're a false prophet. This was prophesied. It's like, using the scripture to uh, embolden her, to um, justify her actions. So, like, yeah, she becomes the true villain like she is the one that's trying to do this for herself and it's like it just spits it right back in her face. Yeah. yeah. And Father Pruitt realizes this himself
0: where he's like this whole thing has been about like serving what I want in my cause. Yeah. And it's, it's not been about pointing the way to God like a priest should do. It's like, been a selfish thing.
2: Yeah, he's like, it's supposed to be about God. It's not supposed to be about you or me. And he realizes that. And then Bev, he's, he tries to t- speak about to Bev about it. And Bev's yeah. like,
0: yeah, no, you're wrong. Yeah. And you're just like, what? And 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 that that's the sad thing about this is that it came from a good place. And it came from mm-hmm. good intentions. And you can even see, like, the way that he talks to Riley and other parishioners is that he's a good man. Yeah. He, he, he speaks out of... Uh, um, A place of like depth and compassion, even when Riley is like having AA meetings with him and he's talking about his own grief and how he, you know, can't believe in God anymore. Um, And, you know, props to Hamish Linklater for his acting performance, because it's just. Oh, yeah.
2: Props to everyone. So good. To their acting performances. Everyone in this show did a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know some people online complain about monologues with this series but it's an actor's dream because they could just them. they could just go I'm I'm disregarding those people I'm sorry <laughs> right. anyway like Hamish he's like um especially early on in the series he's always like stuttering and like searching for the right words to say and you could tell he's like he's a good man he's speaking from the heart and he's trying to help his people but towards the end he becomes like more certain and he's not s- like searching for words as much so he becomes a televangelist yeah. at that point. yes yeah exactly and it, it, it becomes about him um and th- that, that's what i mean when it when like when i'm talking about sin in that sense where it's not about like a list of behavior it's about like all the things that are the way that we fail in ways that divide and hurt other people. And Mm -hmm. in that sense, Riley kind of becomes a Christ figure because he understands that in his own way, that the example that Jesus set is this kind of selfless giving of himself, um, his body, his life, uh, his service, even his miracles. It's always to serve and help others. It's never about his own gain. And it's kind of exemplified with his crucifixion in laying down his life uh, for the salvation of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley ends up um, following this archetype where when he's, you know, bitten and turned, he very easily could have given in. And that's this kind of where his story of um, sobriety and alcoholism kind of blends with it, where he has this hunger for oh blood God. and, he could very well give in and feed that hunger, but he chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Instead, he warns Aaron and, you know, takes him out on a boat in the middle of the lake. And the only way to really prove what's happening in a way that she can't deny is to basically like Let allow sunrise. himself, allow himself to be immolated by the sunrise. Um, Cause a- a- as a result of like dying and resurrection that, this angel of the Lord provides, you kind of turn to a vampire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's the sunlight sensitivity and everything. And he willingly sacrifices himself. He, he easily could have like, you know, uh, feasted on Aaron's blood in order to perpetuate this, but he chooses the higher path. He chooses the, the way of Jesus, I would say, um, in offering his own life so that she might have a chance to live. Does, and it doesn't play out that way, but um, yeah, he kind of has like the most Christ-like arc in this in this series, and th- that's what I think is so brilliant, and what Aaron realizes at the point of her death is like, the opposite of sin is realizing that I can give of myself, and i I am not depleted because there is no separation between you and me. There, we're We're all in this together, we're all part of this unifying whole. And we, you know, there's, there's a sense of individualism as far as like, we all have a part to play. Mm. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should give of yourself in a kind of like abusive situation so that others can profit um, off of like your misery. But um, she realizes that as long as we buy into the loot, into the illusion that we're all separate is like, that's what's keeping us back from true healing and redemption. And, um maybe in a kind of pantheistic way, um, death is simply the returning to the source of from when we came, uh-huh. which he identifies as God and, you know, caps it with I am that I am. And like, that's the meaning of that phrase. Um, that's, that's kind of the third view of what happens when you die. And I, that just blew my mind. Um, I, I have a feeling that's kind of like Mike Flanagan speaking about like his own view. But yeah. it seems to be like a synthesis or like something deeper than just a even a very good very beautiful kind of religious sense of what happens when you die it it's still buying into this uh uh selfness that like i'm still a contained whole um with my own soul and body that will be restored instead it's like something deeper like no we're we're not separate at all there's no self to be restored the the true Redemption and resurrection is a returning to that unifying whole. Anyway, that's what I got out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I Went on a spiel for like 20 minutes there. But <laughs> man, a, I mean, that y- blew my brains out.
2: Y- y- you nailed all the points there. <laughs> you
0: <laughs> really did. You
2: really did. And then, you know, we have this in the background and I'm watching, you know, Riley trying to walk by, you know, Aaron. And he's still in that little shell of his and she's just like, Hey, what are you doing walking by me right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You always need someone in that life in, in your in your life if you're especially if you're having like a struggle like that. And I mean, my God, Aaron really is one of like the most selfless people in this in this show. Yes.
0: She walks the walk, um, which is not to say that others don't, but she's, she kind of represents like um, what like genuine Christianity, genuine Catholic faith looks yeah. like as it's practice, <clears throat> like, you know, as it's practiced out in real life. Um, and yeah, she, she has a, as a beautiful arc as well, as far as like coming to terms with what happens to losing her baby and, um, helping Riley back on his feet and then ultimately yeah. like she gives her life too to help um you know protect the rest of the world from the island so yeah. like she has her part to play as well it's great yeah i mean, I
2: mean and, and starting off with Riley too i mean it's like a it's like a freaking like spider web with every single person he's touching you know mm-hmm. you kind of start to slowly you know find more and more about these people and you're like wow there is a lot of crazy you know I'm sorry to say, but like Catholic people here, but then you got Aaron Green, who's like the one actually, like almost the best egg there that's, you know, mm-hmm. the most consistent. And I mean, I don't think there's ever a part where she's really truly being selfish in the right. show.
0: Yeah. Like Riley's mom, of. Riley's mom is very devout and, you know, she welcomes her son back. And is very loving and appreciative, but there's still the sense that it's like conditional in a way there's still it feels like you you could feel that that wall is
2: there right yeah with her, where it's like, yes, you know, I love it, I love that you're home, but God, and it's it feels like you're you're just you're just waiting to hear that that but you know, but God, but you know i i that but religious statement almost, yeah, with her, but she doesn't want to say it, which I mean. I don't know if that was like the intention with her character or not, but it's like, I mean, I, I, I mean, I still like liked her character. Her character was still nice, you know, did a lot better and a lot more patient than she was with her. Mm-hmm. And than the father was, but, um, God, yeah, there's so many more characters to also dive into. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you see with Aaron Green's character, I like how you put it. She walked the walk. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like she was the perfect Exemplification of like what it looks like in real life to be a Catholic or a Christian. Mm-hmm. And like Bev is like the perfect oh, encapsulation of like this, uh, this legalistic person who's like judging other people kind of like the stereotype the mrs carmody from uh the mist
2: (laughs) Mist. yes
1: yes it's like mike flanagan was like let me just make this character the main villain of an entire show (laughs) she she's a z-lot she yeah yes she has no redeeming qualities she poisons a dog
0: because she doesn't like it she
2: poisoned (laughs) a dog
0: yeah that's pretty bad um She's like making herself self-important, and like she's like inserting herself into the PTA and the yep. school.
2: She always has a religious, you know. She has a religion. She always need a. Val- she always needs to validate herself with a religious. uh Ah. Or, or, uh. What am I? Justification? With a religious justification, she always tries to quote directly from the Bible. When Mm -hmm. someone tries to challenge her, she always goes directly to the Bible. And she goes, I'm doing this because this. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The the Bible says this. So, you know, this has to be right. Yeah. That's right, Sturgis.
1: You have to do that. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. I'll chop up this body for you. Yeah.
2: I'll I'll
0: disable all the boats. Yeah, he's he's a little bit of a of a of a stooge uh, to Bev. Not sure why, but you know, all the people that end up following Bev, I'm just like, "What are you doing?" You, you need a patsy every once in a while. But <laughs> she also like it's a deeply religious town, Yeah, and she relishes in that. Yes. Um I I enjoyed when the sheriff was questioning her about um you know, her being suspected for poisoning the dog and Uh, I could be wrong, but I think he mentions that the dog was poisoned, but doesn't mention like what poisoned him. And he asks about the rat poison and she just like goes off just lying through her teeth and uh, explaining way too much. And it's it's so obvious that she's lying. I feel like he he never he never brought up that like rat poison was a part of it. But she just goes off defending herself.
2: It was like a five minute rant. I feel yeah. like I remember watching it and I was like, and I remember watching her just talk for five minutes. So I was like,
0: all right, she's lying through this skin of her teeth. Here's the thing. I felt bad for her at the end. Like I, she has no As redeeming. Sun was coming up. Yeah. She has no redeeming qualities, but again, taking, going through that lens that Aaron provided, like when there is no separation of you and me. And mm-hmm. I just felt sorry for her that it must be such a lonely, miserable life to like, drive everyone away from you from your self-righteousness that like, nobody wants to spend time with you that she had in herself that, you know, she was righteous and that like God would find favor for her. Um, and you know, she would have this good place in the afterlife when her death actually came. It was just so pathetic because like she never accepted it and she was still trying to like dig a hole with she her She was hands trying to dig a hole herself. in the sand. Yeah. yeah.
1: She was also alone. Yes. Because everyone else, Was with other people. Like, yeah, most of the town singing uh, nearer to God to... uh, Nearer my God to thee. Yes. And we have uh, the sheriff and his son praying together, Mm -hmm. uh, the Islamic prayer. Yeah. And, like, she's alone. She has nobody. And then Father Pruitt is with his... Meredith. Meredith, who's actually... They had a, a kid together. The, yeah. yeah. The
2: secret lover that he was, I mean, ultimately that was a reveal too, that, you know, he was like, oh, I, I was kind of hoping that we would get back together. And she was like, oh, what did you expect that would happen? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was not, that was not thought through very well.
1: No, it was But it was so beautiful. He was it like, was. you know, I just wanted us to be a family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, cause she couldn't, cause it's so wonderfully written because yes. like uh, it was set up earlier, like, Oh, you know, I, you know, there's theories that, you know, father Pruitt, you know, wasn't really celibate, you know, mm-hmm. he had kids cause you he, he look like, you know, it's like almost a, a, what was it called? A dead ringer. Like he yeah. exactly mm-hmm. like father Pruitt, which was actually him, mm-hmm. but the younger version of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. And like when he, it's just beautifully written with Mike Flanagan where he's so old, like him, father Pruitt didn't go off and fight the war in world war two. Right. Yeah. But the husband of, um, I forget her name, Meredith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He went off to serve and like, they had a romantic relationship. They had a child together and he was like, you know, it never felt like a sin. It wasn't a sin. Mm -hmm. And it's just like so beautiful. And it's like, he wanted to be, a family with her. He wanted mm-hmm. to get rid of the cloth and like have a normal life, but like he couldn't do it. He couldn't initiate it. He was waiting for her to do. Yeah. So, so like, ass like, will you be with me? And it just never came. And if you like, had merely spoken the word, I would have left the Jedi yeah. order. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, as the sun rises, yep. they were a family. He tosses away the collar. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. But even that, like all the good that he did was to try to like get back this life that, he couldn't have Mm -hmm. so it came out of a a selfish place a very like understandable and honorable um, kind of place but a selfish one nonetheless and that kind of leads to all the carnage
2: and see you know with that I feel like you know Mike Flanagan could have easily taken his character and easily made it made us hate him more yes but what I liked is at the end I did not hate Monsignor Pruitt for what, you know, necessarily he did, no. because in the light that he was painted, he thought he was doing this for God. And then he, you know, like you said earlier, he realizes it's like, wow, I was being selfish, like I'm a terrible person, pretty much almost because, well, well actually, does he?
0: I Yes, he comes around like after he's killed, uh, yes. like, shot in the head and comes back, he's like. Ah
2: fuck! Like, yes, 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 yes. Okay, now I remember Bev him being did. yes. Yeah,
1: Bev's reaction yeah, to like he, everything.
2: He looks at Bev and then he's just like, "Wow, Bev is like." I mean, he doesn't necessarily be- say that Bev is like is like you know is uh wasn't necessarily like the main main bad person, but you know, it kind of the light kind of shifts. I feel like mm-hmm. right there and then, where I'm just like all right, I'm not mad at Monsignor Pruitt. I'm just mad at Bev now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely shifts to her. Um, Yeah, he kind of wakes up and realizes like George Lucas, like I may have gone a bit too far in some places.
2: (laughs) But I mean, you could have easily, Mike Flanagan could have easily made two characters that were basically the same, Bev and Monsignor Pruitt. And I'm glad that, you know, that there are very polarizing differences between Mm -hmm. the two. You know, she's a big follower of hers. Eventually she casts him aside and she's just like, yeah, you're wrong. And I'm like, wow hmm wow you just shifted like the whole entire focus almost where i was like i did not know i like i thought monsignor Pruitt was gonna become the main bad guy and bed was gonna be pushed
0: aside yeah no um no. it kind of sh- gets reversed i just yeah. realized something um kind of going into this theme of like selfish ambition versus like um actually following the example of christ and like selfless giving mm-hmm. um do you remember the scene where he is going into a confessional by himself and he's like revealing the twist and what happened yes. Yes. as he confesses to God. Um, there's a, a lot of cutaway shots to these like wood carving engravings. Yeah. Um, and those are mm-hmm. like stations of the cross, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they star him. They're putting like himself in the place of Christ. and it's kind of a hint as to like what's going on here where he's kind of assuming the role of Christ instead of like merely pointing the way to him. Interesting.
2: I might have to watch this again.
0: Yeah. There's, there's cutaways there's to these like wood engravings. the cross. Yeah. Right? yeah. I might
2: have
1: to watch that episode again. 12 is a divine number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I actually think it's like 15 stations of the cross. I could be wrong, but, um, let's yeah, just there, say it's 12. Yeah. Like there, there are some excerpts of the, um, stations of the cross, but they reflect his own journey of like getting lost in the Holy Land and being visited by, um, an angel of the lord and it's like oh there's some heresy going on here because <laughs> he's like he's basically casting himself in the role of like paul or christ also interesting that he takes the name of paul after his damascus road yeah. experience. paul, paul.
2: Hill. oh my god yeah. we haven't even talked about that yet yeah he takes the name paul shit.
0: hill when he comes back oh my
1: god <laughs> yeah you're right because like Holy shit. Yeah, that was his <laughs> transformation. That was his transformative uh, incident because, like, as Saul is going down the Damascus Road, he gets encountered with the Lord, he gets blinded, he sees mm-hmm. all the other shit, and then becomes Paul who writes most of the New Testament. Right. So then, uh, Father Monsignor Pruitt. As he is wandering, because he has dementia, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. he wanders away from his uh, 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 uh Jerusalem, Holy Land uh, tour group into the wilderness, he encounters the angel of the Lord, and then he becomes renewed, yep. a new life, yep. a new creation. So then he assumes the name, Paul. Oh, my God. He goes into <laughs> the cave, a
0: tomb, if you will, and he comes back out in a,
1: in a brand new body, what a resurrected a, body. What in Like this... God. Whoosh. <laughs> it's just so incredible how deep it is as yeah. we're unpacking it because it's yeah. like Father Pruitt, I absolutely love his character. Hamish Linklater did an oh, amazing yeah. job portraying him, but like he is like the shining jewel mm-hmm. of this uh series. Like even though we're with uh it's it's the it's dynamic a- between Riley and uh Father Pruitt. That is like the golden uh, the, the relationship mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. this, the, the dynamic yep. that right. draws you in, like uh, Aaron Green is in there too, but like, oh my God, that triad of like them surrounding uh, Riley, who then we uh, uh, associate with Riley because like he is a standard for the audience. We mm. are Riley as we're mm-hmm. going through this journey. Yep. yep. Wow.
0: Whew. yeah. There's <laughs> there's layers to this series, people. It's
1: like an onion.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: And there's so much more than those three characters too. Between Aaron, Monsignor Pruitt, and you know, um,
0: know. let's let's talk about Sheriff Hassan.
2: Oh yeah, Sheriff Hassan. I think
0: he has a pretty interesting perspective on things. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Um. So he is a ex New York police officer. Worked his way up to Mm -hmm. detective, and he comes to the island. He's like the island sheriff. Um. And he he gets his own monologue where he kind of like reveals everything that led up to this, where, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the September 11th attacks happened. He wanted to, you know, go ahead and make a difference. And he wasn't all that religious, but he, um, you know, signed up for the NYPD, worked his way up from like beat cop to detective. And um, because he could speak the language, uh, he's basically being called on to task forces to. Uh, you know, help fight terrorism. And he thinks like, yeah, I'm making a difference, but it kind of gets twisted where, um, you know, if anyone's like stopped for a, for a, like petty drug bust and they happen to be like Middle Eastern, then, you know, they basically, they try to like recruit them to basically like spy on their, you know, congregations. Yeah. Um, And it turns into this whole thing and, you know, he pushes back a little bit gently once and, Uh, he's basically made a pariah and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, basically put on beat duty again. And, uh, he fears for his safety and his sons at this point, he's, he's religious because of who he married and, uh, you know, she gets, I think, pancreatic cancer and dies. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. so he's like, you know what, we're just going to go to like the safest post possible with my son. He's going to be bored to tears, but you know i want to keep him safe and so he chooses crockett island and goes there doesn't even carry a gun because he knows like the people here distrust him so much uh because of his religion and culture Mm -hmm. um that he basically has to be on his best behavior um or they're just gonna like turn against him and he's yeah he's he's a he's a model sheriff um just serving the town doing what he can um, to help them, and the 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 favor is never returned in kind.
1: Right. He's also, he looks it.
0: like Joel from Last of Us.
1: I haven't seen the Last <laughs> of Us yet. <laughs> you go. Uh, I know. Yeah, he's kind of dressed
0: like him.
2: Yes. Now that you say it, Pedro no, I, I can see it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love um, Petra.
2: I'm like obsessed with him. I got right the now. jean jacket on.
0: This is probably the best representation of a Muslim character I've ever seen like in a uh, in, yeah. in a in a show or movie?
2: To be honest, yes. I agree. I mean, watching Sheriff Hassan, Hassan, am I saying this right? Hassan? Hassan. Hassan, yeah. Watching him throughout the whole entire show and how reserved he act around all these people, Mm -hmm. especially like someone like Joe who would call him Sharif. Yeah. I was just like, oh man, Joe. Like the kids
0: call his son Aladdin.
2: Yeah. I was like, all the racism and everything that he dealt with, like, you know, watching his character just, you know, like, be this just like mild temperamental to be like okay something's going on here and because you know my son's starting to get involved you know a little bit in in the church he's starting to get a little he was he was getting a little worried i remember him yeah. you know watching him you know wh- from the beginning he just becomes a little bit more and more suspicious of what is going on with the church
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then yeah the big finale happens and I felt bad for his son, but at the end of it, you know, Sheriff Hassan should have been carrying a gun from the start.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he kind of kind of gets caught in a bad place with that. Um, But yeah, that adds a. I'm so glad his character is included in this um, because it adds another dimension of depth to like the religious angle of the story. Yes, where he's giving Muslims their fair due and. Um, there's even a, there's a great conversation when he and like other members of the PTA are basically confronting Bev about her handing out Bibles in school. Yep. Uh, And, uh, he has like the perfect perspective on this. He's like, you know, we like Jesus. He's another prophet. Like we hold him in high regard and I don't care if my son reads the Bible or, you know, I, I want him to, uh, to find God wherever he seeks, but school is not the place for it. Right.
2: Yeah. And another thing that says about his character too, when his son finally comes to him and goes, you know, yeah, I want to go to to mass, you know, I want to go go to church. Yes, he doesn't agree with his son. Yes, he's upset with his son. But it's not like he locks his son in a room and says, no, you right. can't go, you can't do this. He right. he ultimately doesn't block him. He doesn't get in his way. He's he's an accepting parent. It seems like he yeah. he's he's allowing his son to still you know. Explore religion, even though he still believes his son should be like, you know, only like, you know, doing the prayers and stuff like that for his mom. Yeah. Um, it's kind of I, I know it's hard, it looks hard for him, but, you know, he ultimately, in the end, he was trying to do what was best for his son. I mean, mm-hmm. He just all he did was care about him. Yeah. I mean, he, and he made that pretty well known right away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because like. From his perspective, like he he he's not controlling of his son. He wants his son to be able to explore and find God wherever he may be found. Yeah. But he's like, You are not a Christian. Um, you know, we already have God. So like and, and he recognizes that his son wants to be like a part of the town and the miracles are exciting, but he's like, God doesn't work that way. Because yeah. if he did, why did your mom pass away?
2: Yeah. And you know, what am I you know? One of the most infuriating scenes of watching this from watching this was watching him almost he was you know kind of like refrain from going to go and like stop his son from drinking, you know, the wine on mm. that night.
0: The Kool-Aid. The yep. Kool-Aid. Yeah, it gets a little Jonestown for a sec. Yes.
2: Yeah. When that hall goes down and they're and, you know, people are starting to die because, you know, they're, you know, willingly taking the poison that Bev poisoned the dog with, you know, to basically be resurrected. Compound
1: ten eighty. Comp- yep.
2: yep. Yeah. How I was, I was
1: Heaven's I gate. wish I could
2: have seen a little yes. bit more fight from him in there, but I mean, I totally get it. Just like the shock factor. Like, how could you expect, you know, your, your son to, you know, ever follow
1: something like that. But
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: I, even I, that saying I, that sounds, sounded bad. But I mean, imagine just okay. uh, Sheriff Hassan. He's, you know, like he's allowing his son to dabble with Christianity and then it ends up becoming like, a doomsday cult where they're all killing themselves. Oops. Yeah. And like, they're holding him down as his Mm -hmm. son freely chooses to drink the poison in the plastic cup. And it's like, God, you just feel for the man. Mm -hmm. And like, this is a perfect encapsulation of like what it is for like a father. Like he, he didn't grow up muslim but like that's Mm -hmm. his culture and like his wife who died of cancer was very devout so then he adopted the the religion so then he wants his son to be uh devout too for his mother's sake that's why like every night they go to bed he's like kiss your mother Mm -hmm. like kiss Mm -hmm. the the picture of your mother and it's like him going to christianity kind of i don't want to say like spits in the face of like his mom but it's like feels like a betrayal. Yes. It's like, we found our answers. Like we're, we're Muslim. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And it's like, like you said, it is a betrayal and it's like, it, it turns into the ultimate betrayal when it's like, he's faced with death, his son. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, I I could have stopped this, but I didn't because like, I wanted to be tolerant and be a good father. And it's like, oh my God, it's like nothing he could do is good enough, Mm enough. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he's really put in a bad situation where it feels like no choice that he can make is ever good enough, and it's mm-hmm. only, like, damage control, and right. isn't that parenthood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I feel like we covered most of the major characters, but I would be interested, if you've feel okay with it. If we can kind of get into like a personal reaction to what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because with what, at, le- at least to me, it feels like the whole show. Yeah. Yes. The whole show. Cause like, <laughs> this is a deeply like personal work. It's a passion project mm-hmm. and it touches on really philosophical, religious, emotional things that at least for me, like I took a lot away from it personally. And I feel like it's almost impossible not to, Um, Doug, you had mentioned that, like, one of, um, one of Aaron's dialogues kind of, like, blew you away, so if you're okay with it, I would love to kind of talk about, like, our personal takeaways from this.
2: I've probably spent, like a couple hours after watching that like, like when, when you mentioned that you like, you had to like, just take like time to process. You're just like, I had to, you were literally sitting there for like an hour after yeah, you
0: watched it in the group chat.
2: That was literally me. I think I was sitting around for like two to three hours, just, just like rethinking of what I watched, especially the ending. And I was just like, I think it, it definitely affected me a little bit religiously. I mean, Both ridiculous and you know and good. I think for me, because I mean, as being personally raised Christian Catholic, um, with you know, like watching you know the movies like Spotlight and going within like all like the you know trouble the Catholic faith 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 has had. Mm -hmm. Um, I no longer have identified as such. Um. But after watching Midnight Mass, it kind of got me back into religion a little bit. It made me rethink Mm. a little bit of what religion means to me and what, like, I personally believe in. And I'm like, you know what? I almost kind of, I almost feel like I'm Erin Green, where I, like, I do believe, you know, like her towards the end. I do believe in some way that, you know, that when we die, our energy, we just I mean, we, our energy just returns to earth and we kind of just become almost one with the universe again. Mm. And, you know, that's kind of like her version of heaven there is I'm like, I can kind of get on board with that. That kind of makes sense to me mentally, Mm. because I mean, just because of how I think I'm a very, you know, down to earth person, um, I mean, I believe in religion until, you know, I really believe in everybody's religion, essentially, Mm -hmm. until, you know, like someone said until I can get like concrete evidence. But, you know. Watching Midnight Mass made me reflect on what I believe happens life after death as a Mm. person, and it kind of made me realize that, you know, the Christian Catholic, yes, you know, bad things have happened to it. Do my beliefs still kind of line up with it a little bit, maybe? A a little bit, yes. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can be a religious person again, because, I mean, to be honest, I haven't really gone to church and forever i'm kind of like an eastern cat and uh christmas only person mm-hmm. christian <laughs> <Christ-er>. yeah <laughs> so like isn't it mean,
0: great with uh the catholic faith that even when you're not catholic they can claim you're catholic because you're lapsed yes. catholic
2: yes i know I'm, i was baptized and all that st- mm-hmm. all that fun stuff too but i mean it really just made me think of like rethink of you know what do I really believe? Mm. What do I believe in yeah. as a Christian Catholic? Someone who used to identify as that, like, could I ever identify it like that again? I think I could, because, I mean, Aaron Green is the prime example of, you know, a Christian Catholic that isn't selfish, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 ha- it had a big effect on me. It mm. really did. And that's why I really love the show, because it made me think of life, death. And religion, Mm. for me. What does that mean for
1: me? It makes you... That's kind of what I took away from it a bit. It makes you ask yourself, Doug, like, who's this faith important towards? Other people or yourself? You know? Yeah. Because, like, with Aaron Green, I can assure you she did not care what, like... Bev thoughts or Father Pruitts; those are the religious establishments yeah. in Crockett Island. She didn't. It, it's her personal journey, you yeah. know. So it's like she she would say, like, you know, I believe in God. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but like to the people that are more legalistic, people that like say, like, go every Sunday and like go through all the the motions. They would see her as a pariah, like, "Oh, you had a child out of wedlock," and like all this other crap. And it's like, life is messy, and like she yeah. experienced life, so it's like that doesn't it, it's it's uh, incompatible with a puritanical lifestyle type of thing. So it's like it, it begs the question: like, what's your who's your faith important towards other people, doing acts for other people, or like thing?
3: Mm.
0: So, Doug, if I can ask, like, what was kind of your mindset about the nature of death, the afterlife, religious things um, before Midnight Mass? And how was it kind of shaped by that?
2: Uh, To be honest, I really wasn't sure. Like, I mean, I knew, you know, I've always believed in, like, you know, heaven, but I didn't know... I didn't know if there were, like, for the of time, I was like, is there really, like, a right way or a wrong way of how you can perceive heaven? I don't think that there is. Um, but, uh, bef- like, my thoughts before, I was not religious. Like, religious was, like, the last thing on my mind before I watched Midnight Mass. Like, I wasn't even thinking about it. Questions like that. People would ask me that. I'd just be like, oh, well, you know... Before that, maybe I would have just said, you know, I think you just die and, you know, that's it. Mm. This actually Much like made, Riley. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, as bad as it sounds, I mean, I had a pretty bad falling out with my faith. I, I, mm. I have to admit it. But yeah, after rewatching that, it kind of, you know, it did influence me a little bit to, you know, start asking that question. Be like, you know, this is an important question to ask because, you know... It it ultimately comes down to, like, you know, how you also treat others and then how you because, you know, if you view death as just something that's almost meaningless. I feel like, you know, that's the start of a serial killer almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Because like. But it's but I mean, I'm not saying that I was, you know, that that's bad. I'm not saying that I that I was nihilistic. that but nihilistic, but I mean definitely opened the door for me personally. And it made me realize that it is important maybe to have faith again, Mm -hmm. believe in something in life after death. And literally when Aaron said that, you know, like that, uh, that her energy was being like transferred back into the universe, I was like, you know, I, I think I believe that too. Mm. I think I believe, you know, in life after death, you know, my energy just gets transferred back into the universe. And I feel like my consciousness continues. I just become one with all, almost. A drop being
1: placed back into the ocean. Yeah, mm.
2: exactly. And then that can, I mean, and, and in, in a sense, that's also heaven, you know, continuing to, you know, have your consciousness. The communion of the saints.
3: Yeah,
0: Exactly. Yes. I hope, hopefully that answered your question. Sorry. I know I got into yeah, a, yeah, bit yeah. Of a rant. There, there's no but. right or wrong answer to that. It was a I'm, monologue. I'm just, really, yeah. <laughs> I'm just really curious. How
2: about you guys? Um, did that? Did this have any like effect that it, on you that it had on me? Because I mean, it had a big effect on me religiously.
0: Profound. Yeah. Well, Armand, I, I think we've talked at least offline about this. Maybe it's come up on the podcast here and there. But like you mentioned that you used to be Catholic and then we were at the same church for a little yes. bit.
1: Um. So with this, with midnight mass, um, Aaron and I, we talked at length, uh, about this, but like <laughs> I grew up, I mean, my father is Muslim, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. mother is Catholic. And so I, I grew up in a pretty secular home. Uh, we I, like religion was kind of like in the backdrop, like I was aware of like who God was but like details beyond that are uh not very defined but like I grew up sort of catholic I was I got the communion first confession mm-hmm. and all that I wasn't confirmed oh <laughs> <laughs> um uh, by that time I kind of like fell away with my faith because you know growing up catholic it's it's very much going through the motions it's very cultural um there isn't really Meaning behind what is going on. Mm. And like when I'm watching this, like the Ash, Wednesday, the Ash Wednesday scene where Father Pruitt is like uh blessing people, like, from once you wear dust and dust you shall return. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> if the pastor, if the priest told me that mm. as I'm in line, the Catholic Church waiting to get my ashes, that would have a profound effect on me. Mm. But instead what was happening was like, okay, here's your ashes. Here you go. Here you go. Mm. Like it was, it was very much going through the motions. Like this is just Routine. what you do. Yes, exactly. There was no mm-hmm. meaning behind what was going on. And with midnight mass, it kind of awakened me. It's like, oh my god, there's like so much meaning behind what the Catholics do. And for context, like I fell away from my faith and I found uh, religion through the Protestant lens because, like, there, it's like, oh my god, there is meaning behind uh, the Bible and like what you do in church. And like, there's like an authentic faith going on mm-hmm. in that, in that context. It's like, we're not about rules. Yeah. and <laughs> it's like <about> a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, when I was going to like uh Protestant church, it was more modernized. Like, mm-hmm. like there is beauty with like cathedrals and stained glass and like the ornate uh, fixtures. There's beauty in that and culture in that. But like, when it's when it's bogged down by like routine and going through the motions, it loses meaning. It doesn't mean anything. It's just decoration at that point. So like going to more evangelical places, it's like oh my god, like people are alive with their faith. They're on, they're on fire. They have passion. Yeah. And it's like I want to experience that. Mm. And that's where you and I met. Yes. <laughs> at a church, mm-hmm. uh, one of those oh, churches. Yep. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. This is a deep cut. And deep, deep cut. Deep <laughs> cut. And then I was like, let's start a podcast. You know, Star yeah. Wars podcast. <laughs> yeah. Aaron's still doing it. <laughs> yeah. We just had our 300th episode. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Crazy. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this hit home for me in several different places because, like, from the Christian standpoint, it's like, oh, my God. There's, like, so much meaning behind all of this iconography, and then with uh sheriff Hassan with his uh son i forget his name amir ali ali um that's like the relationship between my dad and i Mm. so that hit home for me because like Mm. when i started becoming a real christian he had a problem with that Mm. because he's muslim yeah and he told me like the biggest regret in my life is i never showed you islam Mm. and i should have and it's like So like seeing their relationship where he was like Muslim and then he was like, Oh, this Christianity intrigues me. I'm going to go to church. And like that hits his father, the sheriff so hard. And it's like, it also hit my father so hard. And at the end where the sun is rising, he's having that moment with his dad where they're praying. I just couldn't help Mm. but like cry. Yeah. Like it just, that was beautiful. It it hit home so hard. And it is a beautiful moment for those characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, like, this show, going through it a second time, I was like, I took a deep breath each episode. I'm like, (laughs) do I want to cry tonight? (laughs) Yeah. And, like, I knew, like, that's at the start of each episode, I'm like, I know what's going to happen. (laughs) Like, Aaron, like, I wish I was in your position again. This is one of the few shows where I wish I was going through it with fresh eyes for the first time again. Yep. Because like, it is like you said, so deeply personal because this was a personal journey for Mike Flanagan. And then us as the viewer, we're all picking up on different things about this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a testament to his writing because like it is personal. It is, it makes you vulnerable. It makes him vulnerable. And it's like, we're open to it because we're watching it and we want to receive what he's offering uh, Mike Flanagan through his work. And this show is very special. Like it is like with Mike Stoklasa, what he said when he was like, this is one of the best thing I've ever seen. I feel that. Yeah. Because like, this is, I don't know if it's the best thing I've ever seen, but it's like in the top tier, the S tier. Yes. Yes. Like this is so unbelievably good. Yep. And I try to evangelize it as much as I could. Like you Mm -hmm. have to watch this show. Yep. It's so good. I'm glad you made me uh, I made you. Yeah. Cause I told you once before, and you're like, no, I don't like when people tell me to watch things. <laughs> I know it's, it's 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 not a part of myself
0: that I'm proud of, but yeah, it's true. Like if if too many people try to like pressure me to watch something, I'm like, no. Did I, mean, I ever
1: steer you wrong? No. I don't I don't recommend a lot of things. <laughs> but the things I do, you're like, oh, wow, this is... Remember About Time? Yeah. You're like, I don't watch rom-coms. I'm like, just watch the damn movie. Yeah. And you're like, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, yeah, I mean, Midnight Mass, start to finish. Like, I saw, I saw the journey that you went on. You saw the first episode. You're like, wow, this is going to be something special. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but, like, when they're playing... Like I don't know any of these hymns, but like I, I do, I do through this show, mm-hmm. and they're playing "Abide with Me," mm. and like I'm watching it, my eyes are welling up. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was like, "Oh my God!" And like Aaron, you're like, "The show is something special." Yeah. And then we get to the scene where Riley's in the rowboat, mm-hmm. Lamentations. I think it's Lamentations. Yeah, uh, part five. I think. I think that's the gospel. I think yeah. the lamentation G- but- is when he goes yes. up yeah. and you're like, my heart can't take it. Yeah. I'm like two more hours of this shit.
3: <laughs> uh,
1: Our main character gets killed off.
0: Yeah. My, my jaw dropped like hands on my head. I know. Like, and I'm just like watching the credits and listening to Aaron wailing. I'm yeah. like, Oh my God. I'm glad I don't have Netflix. So it's like, skip this after five seconds. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah my heart couldn't take it
2: i remember pausing that when that happened i was like wait a second here how many episodes left do i have
0: yeah two um i'm glad you brought up the music because that's part of my takeaway um a lot of this music is by um goodness is it the compton brothers it is the newton brothers newton brothers so the music is by the Newton brothers and it's largely like acapella renditions of traditional hymns. Yeah. And what I thought was really brilliant about that. I realized when we were watching the ending scene, um, the ending scene, you mentioned they join in um, a rendition of nearer my God to thee. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that's like the same hymn that uh, in real life was played uh, before the Titanic sank.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And Secondly, I realized that it's a actually a beautiful picture of what Aaron was talking about as far as like um, the nature of the afterlife and us returning to uh, the source that we come from and kind of collecting into a whole. What Mm -hmm. I realized is like that actually happens when we make music together is like we're all individuals, but we all have a part to play in making this music and when we do, whether it's a band or a choral arrangement, um, all these individual parts become a part of a larger whole. And in doing so more or less, you have a bunch of voices all singing in harmony. Um, it's a, it's a very beautiful and practical picture of what that, of it's almost a reflection of reality as far as like how Aaron describes it. Um, where instead of us being ourselves, as like individual isolated people we're joining together into this collective experience um where the sum of our parts becomes greater than the whole
1: does that make sense it does make sense
0: i I don't know i I just thought it was was very beautifully and brilliantly uh, portrayed both by the kind of soundtrack that we get but also uh in the ending scene when they all are joining together and they've kind of set aside their differences they've Made themselves like humble and penitent for the horrible Mm -hmm. things that they've done. Mm -hmm. And like that
1: too is kind of like a
0: picture of forgiveness.
1: Yeah. And they accept their mortality. Yeah. Because it's the end. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone on that island is accepting what's going to happen, except for Beth. Yeah. She's the only one, even though she's the most vocal about her faith and judging others and being this force of like, um, legalistic faith, she's the only one that doesn't partake in the singing. She's the only one that's alone and she's the only one that is crying. Crying and not okay with dying. Yeah. Um, it's a perfect picture of how everyone deals with death. When Bev is like
0: trying to carry out her diabolical scheme, um, mm-hmm. she's she basically like pick some verses out of revelation to basically justify like why everything on the island needs to be burned to the ground yeah and what's ironic is um that at the very end when like death is approaching and she's trying to like bury herself to like hide from the sunlight in this like last-ditch effort to like avoid what's coming for her and it's a little ironic because um there's a passage from revelation that describes people like her who are trying to avoid the coming judgment. Uh, this is revelation six sixteen, And they cried to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the
1: lamb. That's oh, exactly what she's doing. My
2: God.
1: Michael Flanagan. Dang. You are a genius. They've done it again. It's, it's someone that understands I guess the Christian faith and like the doctrine and like the lore and like the Bible. So then he can masterfully create these nuances and show them on screen through the character actions. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people can do that because they don't understand. it, It could be with anything, whether it's like star Wars or the Bible, it's like, do you know the subject matter? in order to have these subtle, nuanced behaviors and character decisions for your people? No. And like with Michael Flanagan, he can do that because he has such a deep understanding. Mm -hmm. Like you said, he grew up Catholic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, he's, you know, I mean, if he went to, I think it was a CCD or a Catholic school. Yeah. Like he has a deep understanding and he grew up with it. So of course he's going to like, okay, and then he could play around in that space mm-hmm. and like deconstruct it and do all these different things. So, wow. That is amazing. Um, but yeah, I,
0: I have a different story when it comes to like religion and my faith than both of you, like I grew up evangelical and it was very much like, Touted as like it's hard to describe f- to someone who's not like on the inside. You grew up with Carmen. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You Carmen. Know, um, Carmen? Uh long, <laughs> long story. We'll we'll explain after the podcast. But um I wish I had this series to watch like as a kid growing up, because I think it would have given a much more deeper, nuanced perspective of what faith is all about than what i got mm-hmm. um instead of this i had like left behind and fireproof and god's not dead <laughs> and war room oh and all God. this crap and but but the thing is like when i was a kid like that's all i had so that's what made sense to me um re- christianity was taught as like we're doing things the one true way and like we have the truth and it's in the bible and like everything else is like a deception um or like a a degrading of what the original truth is and it's basically us against the world um yep it's us versus them and we're kind of like the holdouts behind enemy lines and we just gotta like hold down the fort and try to like evangelize and get as many people like into the ark before the flood happens. And the afterlife was described as basically like returning to our true home. And like this time on earth is like, you know, it's our, it's our temporary home, but it's all going to go up in flames anyway. So we don't really need to care about that, but it's just about like winning souls and, um, trying to like get as many people, to accept Christ and say the magic words and then get into heaven forever. Um, and I basically believed that up through like high school and, you know, I was caught in the crossfire of like purity culture and like all the warped, uh, teachings about sex that that has and not really understanding like what kind of impact that would have on me. Um, and, uh, you know then i went to a evangelical college um long story but um i started to see like other representations of the christian faith there and like what that what that's about and i realized like oh like the story's a bit more complex than what i was given um and learning about like the nature of the bible itself and how it was written and all the things we know about it but also all the things we don't know about it um made me realize like the faith background that I come from kind of worships the Bible more than Jesus or God. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's all about like the text and it's not. And I learned one day that like the word of God is like Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, not the text, not the scripture. Um, and that really made me try to like recalibrate my faith and realize like, what is this actually all about? If it's not about like worshiping this book and, um, it got really complicated for a while. I was uh, Anglican for a little bit where I was going to like an Anglican church. And I remember I, that. That was my um, that was my introduction to the liturgy, which for those who don't know, is basically this collection of uh, practices and rituals that are very old and very traditional. Um, but it, it, no part of my church upbringing had that. And suddenly there's this like deep well of tradition um, and culture that kind of transcends time. And it made me realize that like part of what church is all about is like community. It's not just this like consumeristic product that I think evangel- evangelicalism has made Christianity to be. It's not about this like fundraising campaign. It's not about the money and the prestige and power. It's about following in the ways of Jesus together. And, um, and the pandemic happened and I was part of this like small house church for a while. But, um, then I like lost my job and moved. And for like a good, like six months, I was just like not part of a church at all. Um, and cause I was really wrestling with like, what do I actually believe? Um, what role does like faith play in my life? And there's a lot of questions and not really any answers. And, on the other end of this, like I saw my parents basically like descend into this conspiracy, like rabbit hole where, um, more so my stepmom, but kind of my dad as well. Um, you know, they fell into like QAnon and, um, all these like weird, like hyper-religious, um, conspiracies where they see religion as like our club versus everybody else. And, um like the slightest deviation off track means like you're basically lost forever um and it 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 got so bad to the point that like they basically believe that like catholics aren't true christians cuz like of some minor like doctrinal differences um like my my sister married uh this Italian guy and they wanted like a Catholic wedding. Cause that's yeah. like culturally important to them. Oh there, yeah. There's a huge fracas about that and like what the wedding would look like. And it's almost like tore our family in half. Um, Jeez. and you know, my, my, my dad's parents were Catholic and he kind of like, um, when he became a Christian later in life, he kind of like counteracted hard against that and believed that like Catholics weren't true Christians. And, um, which is kind of wild when you think about it we're worshiping the same god but that's neither here nor there um and it got so bad to the point that um my grandpa passed recently he was catholic and my stepmom made like a comment during the funeral about how like he was in hell and like what at what? the funeral yeah oh my
1: god yeah
0: wow and i'm like what did she say uh I don't remember the exact words, You know, it feels but, looking up at us right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was something along, like, along the lines of, like, you know, it's just so sad because, like, you know, he's Catholic and he's not going to be in heaven. And, yeah, it, 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 I, I was just fuming. She's fucking delusional. Man. Yeah. Jeez. And I, I realized, like, if that's what, like, Christianity and religion is all about, like, I don't want anything to do with that. Like Like, I, I yeah. don't want that to be a wedge that drives me apart from other people or a, a means to exert political power or anything. And I was just kind of left in this void where like, I don't have a church home. I don't know. Like, I know there's something more to this, but I don't have like any answers. And that was kind of the place that I was in when I started watching midnight mass and the, um, the kind of meditations on like death in the afterlife really profoundly affected me where I was like crying after each one and especially the ending, I was just bawling and I was thinking of like my sister and my mother who passed away and like how I thought about their deaths, like at the time and what I think about them now. And I just came to this point of understanding, like there's something deeply profound and mysterious about it that different religions try to answer this question differently depending on the knowledge and the culture that's available to them, but it's okay to not have the answers and it's okay to just try to show up and do what you can. And there's something beautiful in that, even if you don't have all the answers and it's that letting go of that certainty that, um, what I was taught was super important that I think is actually crucial to a genuine faith. Um, so i actually went to um, a church this morning. Uh, we were going to record yesterday, and that fell through. Um, but I actually went to like a church this morning and wouldn't you know they had a potluck
3: hey. <laughs> <It> was, like,
0: <laughs> <night mass. laughs> and I don't know it wasn't the super like powerful like earth shattering moment, but I just realized like this is us in community um trying to walk the life of Jesus together and without all the without all the bullshit without yeah. all the divisions and who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. Um, just participating in these same traditions that so many people before in history have done. Um, I think that's a good starting point right now. I don't know how to put a, put a finishing touch on my story, but that's kind of where I'm at right <laughs> now. It, it, it really made me rethink the nature of, um, reality and life and Spirituality in a way that I really wish I had this when I was younger.
3: So oh, I
1: was mean, younger too. Yeah. But you wouldn't know when you're younger because we were all younger. Yeah. We didn't exactly. know. It's That's... only through wisdom by living our lives and maturing in our faith and spirituality where we come to this moment where, we're like, oh, it's not about following rules or hitting a mark or having. Mm-hmm. Some sort of aim towards, I mean, an and, and aim is important, but yeah. like, it's mm-hmm. about just living your life just a little bit bigger than yourself. Yeah. Other people. Because mm-hmm. ultimately in the end, that's what matters.
2: Because like, yeah. I mean, if you can't have someone that you have, you can have a conversation with like Aaron Green and, uh, mm. and, um, uh. I'm forgetting his name now, right? If you can't have in-depth conversations like that with your friends, like
0: try having try having that. See what type of impact that has on you and your friends' lives. Right. That's why I'm so grateful for this podcast and being able to watch the show for this podcast because this is the kind of show that it will keep working on you long after you're done watching it.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah.
0: I wanted to point out that the scene between Lisa, who Uh, was paralyzed by Joe the drunken fisherman in a drunken hunting accident yeah there's a scene where after she's healed she goes and like confronts him Mm -hmm. and just like lays into him all the things that he did wrong and how it affected her and all the opportunities that he stole from her through his recklessness and all like the money that her parents had to spend and all that and it's, it's like completely honest and brutally so and then she forgives him. And to me, I think that's probably the most like real, accurate, honest portrayal of what real forgiveness is like that I've ever seen in any kind of media. Um, there there's compare this to something like facing the giants or fireproof or like (laughs) left behind and the scenes of like forgiveness and like repentance, just like, seems so hollow in comparison to what we see here.
1: Yeah. Because there's no stakes. Like with this, that's like, she was paralyzed. She was shot in the spine and she lost her legs and she had to go through life in that suffering. She had to bear her cross, which was, she can't walk. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. that's such a debilitating thing because like I broke my leg once Mm -hmm. and like just that simple thing of like, I can't use my leg for that amount of time. Everything becomes difficult. Yeah. Even walking across the room, it's like, fuck, I have to go across the room. It's like, <laughs> imagine that, but like you can never walk. Yeah. Like everything becomes infinitely harder. Yeah. And she has to go through that every single day. So then when she was able to walk again through the blood, mm-hmm. she goes to the person that put her in that position. And instead of like getting revenge or telling him off, she was like at the end, I forgive you.
3: Yeah. That is yeah.
1: that's such a, a bigger person move, a Christ like person move, because like me, anybody else would be like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. But she was like, no.
0: I yeah. forgive you. And he is kind of ignored by everyone on the island because it's, you know, just old drunk fisherman Joe and like nobody yep. actually cares about him. Yeah. But she shows actual like care and compassion in that moment because True forgiveness is also being able to like wish the other person well. Mm-hmm. And she's able to do that. She like takes a look around his like dumpy trailer. And she's like, I'd always hoped that you would live like this. And like, I hoped that you would be miserable, but I forgive you. God forgives you. The only person who hasn't forgiven you is you. Yeah, And like, that's yep. the catalyst that lets him start to like get his life back together. Become sober. Yeah. Yep. Cause like he hates himself for what he did. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like releasing him from that. Powerful stuff. It is. Oh, yes. It truly is. Um, And that's what's really valuable about the show, I think, is that it invites that kind of conversation. Um, To that point, I wanted to read some reviews I found about this show. Oh. Are these
1: good reviews or bad reviews? No, these are bad reviews. Oh, Oh, my God. My dog was barking. I couldn't pay attention.
0: (laughs) One star. Um, These are all from Reddit. Um, there we go. I'll let you guess where the what subreddit they're well, from. Well, it's on Reddit. Okay. Yeah. First <laughs> of all. Um, this one's titled "Midnight Mass is so bad." So my friend who was a devout Christian. So my friend who was a devout Christian a few years ago suggested that I watch this because it's got culty vibes. I actually like Mac- Mike Flanagan, so I went along with it. Big mistake. <laughs> what a dumpster fire! Terribly long, stretched out dialogues. <laughs> One weird, scaly figure and boundless stupidity on the part of the converts. Yes, the whole fanatical angle was chilling, but erg, I had to fast-forward a lot of the dialogues to get to the fun bits, and even those were lukewarm. Oh. Ah. I think the only reason Rotten Tomatoes has a good score for this is because religious people have watched it and liked it, and I can see why. Personally, I'm not religious. I've never liked the age-old debate between which god is better or which holy book has better teachings. Plus, the whole commercialization in the name of God is dragging the being's name in mud. It's pathetic. Anyway, please don't watch it. Flanagan's Bly Manor and Hill House are way better. Edit. The butthurt name-calling people in the comments can't take an honest opinion. Thanks for nothing, LMAO. Get a life. <laughs> Thanks, Sam Harris.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, here's another one. Uh, that was from the horror subreddit. This one's from the Catholicism subreddit. Oh. The first episodes are fine. Sure, there are some red flags, but those are everywhere, and the story of the main character, the accursed priest, seemed curious enough. But lo and behold, things soon took a turn. I wasn't surprised, not really, but kind of frustrated, disappointed turns out the main character the priest is actually in love with a woman from his parish shocking right he and his self-righteous secretary quickly become the main antagonists of the series when they decide that the path to salvation lies on turning the whole town into vampires three exclamation points in parentheses (laughs) because you know vampires are resurrected by blood so it's obviously a totally catholic thing to do and who just who who could save the town from these evil monsters if you guessed poor, oppressed people refused by the evil church, you guessed it right. The Muslim sheriff, spelled S-H-E-R-I-F, oh my God. allied with the lesbian doctor, the atheist and the Catholic, who becomes a Hindu-flavored pantheist while dying, saves the day by killing everyone. And of course, the priest goes through a moment of contrition, of redemption, but does he turn to God for forgiveness? Does he admit his own hubris? Not really. He just burns the church down, gets rid of his collar, and goes to watch the sunset and die with the woman that he, quote-unquote, loved. (laughs) Honestly, I'm not surprised. I'm just mad and I needed to vent. Oh my god. (laughs) I've got one more. Here we go. Um, I think this is also from the horror subreddit. I'm sure I'll get slammed for this, but here goes. Midnight Mass starts strong, (laughs) then completely loses its way, exactly the same way Haunting on Hill House did. I was completely locked in episodes one through four or five during both series. Then it's almost like the writers panic and realize they need to start heading towards some kind of profound and artsy ending. What? The rest of the episodes are honestly a complete mess. All the creepy, mysterious horror that makes us fall for the show in the first place evaporates. Everything becomes really exposed and in your face. The unknown becomes known, and it loses its edge. They reveal everything super early, who Father Paul is and what has happened to him, the angel, oh, what a flop that angel turned out to be, and Riley dying, so that all the suspense that's been building flatlines, and you have to force yourself through the last few episodes just hoping it ends soon. Am I the only one who feels this way? I just feel like both series have failed to stick the landing after establishing a damn near perfect mood and style during the first few episodes.
1: This is like the meme or the gif of like the point It's like going over their head. <laughs> Superman's like <"Ooh>, <laughs> You missed the point. So I yeah. think does this prove our thesis that this just does not work for the regular Schmo out there? That's yeah. not gonna sit down and be like, Okay, I'm gonna actually take my time and consume everything, all the information that they're giving to me. They just don't have the patience for it. They want to see Dracula come out and suck some blood or Chuck Norris come out with a machine gun. I'm going to kill the vampires. <laughs> <laughs> a Marvel I, film. with guess. Backflips in the theater. They want the jump scares. They want the theater
0: ride or the um, amusement park ride in the theater. Uh, they want that um, that trashy, pulpy uh, book that they can flip through real quick.
1: Um. They I don't want know.
2: Apparently they don't, I don't want know. fleshed out characters. I don't know what to tell you. Have you seen 30, the
1: Dialogues are too long. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen Thirty Days of Night? Yes. No, I haven't. It is a bloodbath. Yes. But like it depicts it's so it's vampirism in Alaska where okay. the sun doesn't come up. Right. So they just go hog wild and fucking kill everybody and just bloodbath. It sounds like they were expecting that from Midnight Mass, where it's like nonstop, in your face. Horror, blood splatter, gore, like really shocking. But in this it's like super subdued and it's an introspective series where it yeah. makes you think mm-hmm. and question your life and everything that you believe. And it's like, oh, it it mm-hmm. leaves you with something. It's something it's like, it's like a Charles Dickens novel. It's like a, a tale of two cities. If this show was a tale of two cities and like Marvel, what they're expecting is like The VelociCoaster in Universal Studios.
0: Yeah. I don't know, because it's like the whole tradition of horror has been like a way to perceive ourselves and like what's horrific about us. Mm. Right. Unless it's like, yeah, maybe unless it's like cosmic horror or like Lovecraftian horror where the 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 horror comes from the lack of understanding and have having like any anchor to like um, attach your fear to. Yeah uh it seems like most horror is like about ourselves in some way like zombies you have like uh consumerism and yeah. like uh the the loss of individualistic thought mm-hmm. um with like vampires there's some like social commentary there um i don't know it seems like most horror has been like you know about like what terrifies us about ourselves so like I don't know how you could miss that with the series. Yeah. I
1: think people are more used to what Blumhouse puts out. Oh. Like Black Phone. Like people, like everyone was talking about Black Phone, Ethan Hawke. And I'm like, this? Have you <laughs> like, seen
3: Black Phone?
1: Yeah. And like is Barbarian, too. It like, keeps popping I, up on yeah. Amazon video.
0: And I keep ignoring Blackphone
2: it. Black Phone
1: was just. It, it, it was a movie. It's a dude with it, a it, devil mask. Oh. And it's like, you know, like compare that with like Midsummer okay. or like Hereditary, where it's like. The horror is more, like, uh, psychological or, like, more uh, faced inward. And, like, you have, like, the more overt horror where it's like, it's a dude in a devil's mask. He has you locked in his basement. Oh, my God. And it's like, oh, like, you see the clear fucking difference between, like, something that's more elevated and makes you think a little bit more. Yeah. And what's, like, a popcorn guzzler horror film that's there for uh, cheap scares. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to bash on the on the redditors too much. Uh, it seems like a, a case of like, um,
1: how old like, do you think
0: they are? Poor expectations, maybe. Is okay. it it's a, is it a is it a factor of like trying to market this thing?
1: I think. I mean, when you okay, when you put your art out there, it's going to be consumed by everybody. Yeah. When, when, uh, like, say, the Mona Lisa, everyone's going to look at the Mona Lisa. Some people are going to think it's, like, uh, this incredible work of art, a masterpiece. Like, oh, my God, how do you make that smile? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to look at it, like, this piece of shit. Yeah. What <laughs> the guess. fuck is this? It's just a woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, Midnight Put her mass. eyebrows at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remake it and have Kim Kardashian be Mona Lisa. <laughs> fuck you, Leonardo. Hashtag, I'm better. So... With Midnight mass, you're going to put that out to everybody to consume and to have an opinion. Everyone has an asshole. Everyone has an opinion. Yeah. (laughs) It's the same thing. Usually stinks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So like Mm -hmm. on Reddit, of course, you're going to have the Redditors be like this. And then it's also edgy to bash on something that's successful. Everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about like, oh, Mm -hmm. high praise. This is amazing. These were highly upvoted posts, by the way. Oh. I I did not sort by controversial. What? Yeah. Okay. What creates the most traction? Uh, outrage. Outrage. When you mm-hmm. go on YouTube, we're Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I fell into the rabbit hole. Yeah. Back in the sequel days. I was like, oh my God, these fucking pieces of shit movies. <laughs> and then I identified, wait a minute, I'm the problem. Mm. I'm going to stop listening to this. Because then it became like conspiratorial. But like, we can get into that another time. Yeah. But like... What creates the most traction, the most engagement, outrage, controversial stuff? Like, and when you make posts, even if it's good, you know, like, like the media is good, I'm going to hate on it. Mm. And then people are going to click on that and listen to what I have to say because I'm bashing the thing that everyone else likes. Get a little dopamine hit from every upvote. Yeah. Edgelords. Yeah. Could be.
2: So the title of this podcast today is how much uh, we dislike Midnight Mass, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why Midnight Mass sucks with a red arrow. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You got debated. (laughs) I I don't know. I think someone could have a genuine reaction to this and be like, you know, this is crap. This is shit. I don't like it. Not for me. Um, I want to leave space for that, I guess. Erin Green is a Mary Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She she had no Jedi training. Um, But... I. I don't know. I don't I don't see how you can go through this whole series and not have some
1: kind of personal reaction to this. Um They had a hardened hearts. They weren't receptive to the message that this story wanted to convey. They hated Jesus' message because he told them the truth. <laughs> <laughs> they hated him because he told them the
0: truth. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> You've seen that chick tracked? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. I, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Like maybe this is for you, but if you've been, um, if you've been drawn in by a conversation to like any degree, then I think you owe it to yourself to like watch this whole thing and, um, resist the temptation to immediately after it's done, like flock to the reviews and like read those to like determine what you think about it. Like really spend some time like on your own, just like, let me form my opinion. Yeah. Just (laughs) reflect on it and be like, where did I just see What does it mean to me? Um, I think you'd, you'll be richly rewarded for that.
2: I agree.
1: I agree, too. So, Doug, how did you feel about this show?
2: Uh, I, I honestly, it's one of the best limited series shows that I've seen, uh, so far in my 33 years of life. Um, I'm not a typical fan of like slow burn horror. I've seen the witch and I haven't liked it. Still haven't watched it a second time yet. I need What's to. What's wrong with you? Is <laughs> there something wrong with me? Like Armand just said, exactly. <laughs> He's trying to get oh up votes. He's a God. contrarian. But as I'm watching Midnight Mass, you know, in the background right here, too, I it's just a, it's a truly special show, and it's, it's, it's a horror series that will forever be in my brain till the day I
1: die. Wow. 10 out of 10. Oh, my God. Damn, son. That is the highest praise. I've
2: been giving too many 10 out of 10s lately, but, you know... Isn't life easy when you
1: just throw out the tens? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. true. I mean, yeah. I've
2: I've seen the show three times already. I, I, I'm not, I'm not bored of it yet. Three so, times.
1: wow. Good for you, man. So Aaron, would you recommend this show to a friend?
0: I mean, immediately after I watched it, uh, I was like spellbound and wanted to watch it again, but I was also like thinking through everything about like what happened. Um, it's pretty rare for like a piece of media or like a piece of art to transform me. But this certainly did. Um, and I think that's probably the highest praise that I can give to a piece of art. Um, the whole purpose of art is to challenge you and, and shake you in a way that like, you're transported out of your ordinary life, even if for a moment, and you dream of something more. It's not going to be for everyone, but I would absolutely recommend that if the if the premise is like the very least interesting to you, um, you might be surprised by what you find. And I think, at least I hope, that it would be like as transformative to you as it was to me.
3: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick
0: out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
1: United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.
1: I agree with that because like when I started this, I didn't expect it to impact me the way it did. Mm -hmm. Like this made me reconsider like, do I want to be a Catholic again? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, there's so much meaning like everything, like I haven't been to a Catholic church in a hot minute, but like last time I went, like listening to like what they're saying and what they're doing. There's a lot of meaning Mm -hmm. behind it all. Yeah. And I look around and everyone's like glazed eyes oh, uh, yeah, peace be with you. Yeah. They don't care. And it's like, I'm not going to be responsible to those who are spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. I could be responsible for myself mm-hmm. and what my journey is like. And it's like, this made me reconsider, like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I could go back.
3: Mm.
1: Probably won't. But, like, it made me consider it. I'm like, you know what? There's meaning behind this.
0: yeah. This has such a like nuanced take on it that it's not it's not like Catholic propaganda, but it's also not like bashing Catholicism or like any religion for that matter. It's a horror story.
1: Yeah. It's a horror story. Um that has beautiful parallels between Catholicism and vampirism. That yep. I Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't been done earlier. I don't know if I said this before, but like I just the the communion, mm-hmm. the blood of Christ, paralleling that. With the blood of the vampire resurrecting you to become a new life. It's like, oh my God.
0: The whole yeah. idea of communion is just very weird. Let's be honest.
1: Cannibalistic?
0: Yeah. It's like it's weird. ritual cannibalism. Um, Drink from my blood. And, and I, I kind of called it early on that I'm like, there's something to do with communion and what's happening with the miracles. Especially like early on, like mm-hmm. he dismisses the altar boys and he's like
1: pouring something into the wine. Right. And I'm like, I'm mm, <laughs> on to you, <laughs> Father Pruitt. And then once you know, you're like, "Hold up, hold <laughs> up, oh my God, yeah, never
2: taking communion ever again. They're all drinking the vampire's blood, they're all yeah. going to become vampires. It's
1: especially
0: like poignant when um you realize that i th- I think this is accurate to Catholic belief, but they believe that um the bread and the wine like actually become the body and blood of Christ, it, yes, in some mysterious way it's um, uh, I know Orthodox
1: yeah. uh, believes that as well. It's a metaphysical thing yeah um. They ring the bells and it becomes the literal blood and body. Yeah. They don't try to explain it in any
0: way, but they're just like, somehow they're doing magic up there. Yeah. This is the the body and blood of Christ. Um, and there, there is a, they, they believe it imparts grace upon those who receive it in some like tangible way that you can't get just through like symbolism or like pretending that it's so, um, there's something to ingesting it that actually works. Um, it actually reminded me of um. There's this band I like called Becoming the Archetype. They're like a death metal band. Um, yes. And they have like this concept album that's basically like the Superman story or like the uh like the story of Christ. They're very similar, and it's like this planet that's been like that's like succumbed to like disease and like everything's fucking dead and the people are miserable and this like alien basically like crash lands and visits and restores life to the people. Um, But the way that they do that is that they basically all like eat his flesh and drink his blood essentially. And that's always the thing that I thought was missing from the Superman story is like he comes down and he provides salvation for, for everyone. He like saves the day and um, he's, he's like a Christ figure in many ways, but I always felt with like his invulnerability, he's not really giving of himself in order to, secure that salvation for everyone else. Um, he's just this kind of indestructible thing. And what I really liked about that concept album was like, there's actually, uh, there's something there as far as like giving of yourself materially and like actually like having your body being consumed. And like, that's the mechanism by which you're restored. And that's actually like a very Catholic belief to the Eucharist. Um, so uh, th- those those alarms were going off when i like saw the communion being given out and i knew it had something to do with blood as well because like um riley's mom she's like knitting the crock the uh the crock pot the potluck flag yeah and she like picks mm-hmm. her finger and she's like ooh, and she like sucks the blood from it yeah just like anyone would do but then like her sights restored that's like the first miracle on the island and i'm like mm-hmm. hmm something with blood and the eucharist <laughs> it's making this healing going on and then they r- reveal it and I'm like,
2: Oh fuck.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like there's so many good reveals oh, yeah. in this show. It's just, it's wonderfully written. I can't say it enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you went on this ride, Aaron, and that you enjoyed it. Thanks for prodding me to do it.
0: Cause I probably wouldn't have otherwise. And my Change life would be, <laughs> my life would be uh,
1: less rich without it. Isn't it incredible how, like, a mere seven hours, yeah, a mere yeah. story can Get have such a lasting effect on us? Yeah. That is mm-hmm. true art. That is real art. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like, there, I've seen so many movies, shows, zero impact on my life. Yeah. Yep. Just a time waster. This was not a waste of time. This makes me rethink a lot of things in life. Yep, it does. I think that's the hallmark of true cinema. Mm. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: All right, a gentlemen. <laughs> Are we ready to close this out? Let's do it. Sure. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on, talking about Midnight Mass, meeting, drinking some beautiful wine, mm-hmm. talking about this at length. I can't believe we went over two hours. Oh, my God. But I'm not surprised. Oh There's. I mean, I feel like we touched on the majority of the show but there's still stuff that we haven't talked about yeah oh yeah And that's for the listener if they haven't seen this show to go out and experience it themselves so aaron where can people find more of you more of me oh my god um well there's my only fans
0: <laughs> no i ten dollars a I, month i, I need I, this link <laughs> i do not have an Sound OnlyFans. daddy um, yeah. I i do have a uh a podcast, a Star Wars podcast, um, oh at god. WSTR Media, uh, where you can find it. Uh, we just hit 300 episodes. Congratulations! Which is fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're. I think we're going to be talking about the Bad Batch next, Ooh. Um, and that's going to like cross over with the Ahsoka show. It's, oh my it's, god! Ooh. It's just a flood of Star Wars right now. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. Where you can find me. Nice. Sweet. And Doug, where can people find more of you?
2: Well, I don't have it on OnlyFans like you, <laughs> <laughs> but you can find me playing some horror games at twitch.tv blackslash wow underscore it's a Pop-Tart. Yeah. There you go. I got to remember that wow. sometimes it's a...
1: underscore it's a Pop-Tart.
2: It's a mouthful sometimes. Wow. wow it's, it's a Pop-Tart. Tart. <laughs> I do eat Pop-Tarts. And nice. someone did mention to me that Pop-Tarts look like cell phones now, so. What? They're all just squares, rectangles. Oh They're all just god. rectangles.
0: <laughs> Are they individually wrapped? Can you uh, Pop god. them in a toaster. Are they black?
2: The I, okay. <laughs> uh, they better not be black. God, that would be Ooh. that would not be oh good. I would not god. advise eating black pop tarts.
1: Wild
0: charcoal.
2: <laughs> yeah, charcoal.
1: Remember yeah. the black taco from Taco Bell?
2: What? Oh my god. This was like
1: 2008. Oh my
2: god. Dude, that, yeah, that was like high school days. I guess. What
1: was, what was the what was the marketing angle? It was I like. Black taco. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! It's like sultry, like ooh, black taco. Because we have a black president.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh my god. So yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. This was a blast. Thank you. Thanks and for look, having me. And I look. For, you know what? I'm going to say this right now. We did a director spotlight for Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. I think if Mike Flanagan keeps on doing a great job. We're going to have to do a director spotlight on him because oh. his next project, I don't know if you know this, Aaron, he's doing The Dark Tower. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm so excited for that. It's my dream come true. It's finally happening. Wow. It, it's Mike Flanagan's dream dream come true, I, He too. cried about it when he talked about it. He was like, yeah. I made a pilot. I'm really proud of it. Wow. And like the just... dude can write dialogue and write. He's a good writer. So, so, it's, I, a, so it's a show? It's yes. going to be a show. It's going to be a show. I believe okay. Amazon... It's gonna be like at least five seasons long. Damn. Okay. With two spin-off, I think shows or movies. I think one of them's gonna be Salem's Lot. So a little bit of a tie-in with Midnight Mass. So fingers crossed, it's gonna be good. I, I, I've, I have I, fingers crossed. Damn. Okay.
2: Ooh, I have faith.
1: Yes, <laughs> I trust in New Flanagan. All right, guys, time to sign off. It's been real. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See ya. Bye.
3: That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and letterboxed at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch our monde along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.